welcome to the Pink Smoke Podcast. From this episode forward, we're reverting to an all Indiana Jones, all the time podcast. If, if all four of us can agree that Last Crusade is a fantastic movie. Well, well that's, it's obviously a great movie. Who would disagree? That's an Indiana Jones fan. That Last Crusade is a great movie, John Cribbs. I'm your co-host, Chris Funderberg, who's with here uh, with us tonight to talk about the greatness of Indiana Jones and the obvious greatness of Last Crusade. We got the bullpen back from our Star Trek V episode. We got Mr. John Arminio and Mr. Bill Tech. How you doing, guys? Oh, wonderful. Uh, just thrilled to be talking about Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, you know, always happy to defend these shaggy dog movies, of which <laughs> I don't think we're going to be talking about The Last Crusade, if I'm not mistaken. Because <laughs> it's not a shaggy, shaggy dog. Everyone agrees it's an amazing movie. Everyone agrees it's an amazing movie, which would mean that the Pink Smoke has to only do Indiana Jones movies from here on out, except that I may dissent among the ranks of the three of us. Well, this is what's funny is we'll get into it. We obviously knew that Bill Tech is a Last Crusade dissenter. The way this episode actually came about is after we recorded our Star Trek V episode with this group of people together. Uh, Bill Tech, maybe on the episode, mentioned that he does not like Last Crusade, that he in fact hates Last Crusade and sort of had a fuck Last Crusade attitude, which was quite deeply shocking to all of us. And uh, we said this would be fun to come on and talk about all the Indiana Jones movies because we're Indiana Jones fans. And I think each one of us has a um, strong dislike of one film in the series. <laughs> and uh, and that's an interesting thing to me, though, about Indiana Jones, too, um, is that it it's somehow not that it's divisive, but I feel like it's common that fans routinely despise one of the movies in this series. Now, it's usually the fourth one that they despise but it is it is interesting to sort of talk about that and i do want this to be a celebratory episode uh because i do love these movies and they're really really important to me but i also think it's interesting to talk about sort of that those those quibbles and arguments that people have with the series i think a lot more than uh fanatics of other series have a tendency to be uh, a tendency to be apologists for every film in the series whereas this one does not have it that that much with the tetralogy yeah, my intro is even going to be, I think each one of us has a different idea of what the worst Indiana Jones movie is. But then I guess John Arminio would have to admit that he thinks Raiders of the Lost Ark is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> then I would, I would immediately be castigated as a psychopath. <laughs> if I said that. It's, it's almost as crazy as disliking Last Crusade almost. to say that Raiders yeah. is bad. <laughs> You are the wild card, though. We we don't know which one you like. I know which one John dislikes severely. I know which one Bill dislikes severely. I know which one I dislike mildly, although it's such an important movie to me. I can't really yeah. ever fully come to terms with when I watch it again, how much I dislike it. So why don't we get but let's start with celebration of the movies. Let's get into mm. it, John. Lead us. John Cribbs, lead us in through this and what the plan is for tonight. Well, let's just kind of start off with a few backgrounds, right? Like, what's the first indie experience for you guys? Uh, John, uh, you're a little bit younger than us. Uh, wh where did you come to the Indiana Jones movies first? Which one did you see in the theater the first time? Um, I did not see any of these in the theaters. Uh, yeah, so the only one I saw in theaters was Crystal Skull. Um, 
like Star Wars, you know, Indiana Jones was just like the VHS tapes that we had around. That if it was a rainy Saturday, I would just put one of these on. So I don't know which one I saw first. Um, they were just sort of inherent to my childhood experience. And, did you have the individual VHSs, or did you have the whole the big set, the whole trilogy? Um, initially, I had them individually, but I think those got destroyed over the course of my childhood and then we got a vhs set and now of course i have them on you know blu-ray and dvd and, and such and of course that was like the first huge controversy for all indiana jones fans when they released them in a nice clean widescreen set for the first time the whole trilogy the original trilogy and retitled Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana yep. Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And as George Lucas and Spielberg are yeah, want just to sort do. Of, <laughs> sort of a, oh yeah, early harbinger of things to come, unfortunately. Mm. That um, was cheers. That was terrible. That was terrible. Mad about that too, boys. <laughs> that's reasonable to be mad about. I refuse to acknowledge it. You know, that's another thing. Just to talk about John Cribbs has a matter of policy for a very long time, literally would refuse to acknowledge the existence of Crystal Skull. If I mentioned it to him, he would pretend like he it didn't even exist, not even as a joke, like stone-faced, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of this movie. There's only three Indiana Jones movies types of thing. <laughs> literally refusing to acknowledge its existence. Without seeing it. It's not like I saw it and hated it and then wouldn't acknowledge it. I just did not acknowledge no, it. No, I was it's like, we're going to go see it, right? You're the guy who dressed up as Indiana Jones for five consecutive Halloweens or whatever it was and bought the leather coat that you wore just to be Indiana Jones. We're going to see Crystal Skull, obviously. It's Harrison Ford coming back to Indiana Jones. And John would be like... professor. Yeah. I know. Bit. John Cribbs was like, I don't know what that is. I've well, never heard of him. One of the initial things, uh, and this is like kind of proof that we're living in a simulation, <laughs> or at least that I'm imagining pretty much everything that's occurring. There's lots of clues, but one of them is that I, as I became a Pink Smoke fan, reading, listening to the podcast, etc., one of the things for me was that I was... Uh, really intrigued and upset that this writer that I loved, John Cribbs, hated. I, I didn't know he hadn't seen it, but I knew he hated it and wouldn't acknowledge it. Yeah, I did know he wouldn't see it. Um, the Crystal Skull. And I was like, I have to meet these guys. I have to reach out to them. I have to get this <laughs> wonderful writer. I swear to you, I have to get this writer and thinker to watch this movie because this movie's great and it's so good. And he's being, you know, like everybody else and he has to come around. And it was like a weird thing that I would think about. Like, I hope I can meet these guys. And, uh, and, uh, and so I could, so I could tell him he's got to see this movie. He's going to love it. Now, since then, I've had the opportunity to recommend many movies to John many of which he's not enjoyed at all and he's gone sure like not many no, most of them i enjoy no so there's a few that you were like yeah one or two know. One or he's two like but i love the candor the candor is beautiful he goes yeah i don't know what you're talking <laughs> about that, that sucked he says it in a sweet way he's one of the nicest human beings but um basically like no that sucked you're crazy so i actually missed i must have been busy with i, I don't know what happened between i hate it i won't acknowledge it and we're doing a podcast about it what, what, yeah what happened? Well, I just, you know, I always loved Indiana Jones and I had to see it at some point, you know, it had to happen and Star Sternberg wore me down. 
Yeah, start with what what was your first that you saw? What was your experience? And then talk about when you came around to Crystal Skull. And I'm glad it was me wearing you down. I have no, I I didn't actually know that was true. I do remember you wearing you down over the course of years and years uh, as part of my larger strategy of bad-mouthing Temple of Doom. But go on, what <laughs> tell, tell your story. Well, this is fun because we just, Chris and I just recorded a Patreon episode about summer movies, you know, and I talked about like the huge influence when I was a kid of the, just the, the magic and the, you know, the event, you know, kind of stature of like great, big tentpole blockbuster summer movies and Spielberg obviously was a big part of that you know watching uh Jaws again and again on VHS which was the original summer movie and then you know kind of uh, going into the Indiana Jones films so summer of 89 which was huge huge movie uh, year for summer movies obviously get to see Last Crusade the first one on the theater for me was just you know meant so much and you know ever since then and seeing them right off into the sunset at the end was like that's perfect. You know, you cannot end an adventure better than, you know, your hero. But did you, but did you see Last Crusade first? Which one did you see first? No, no, no. I've seen Raiders and Temple of Doom, but not in the theater. Last Crusade was the first one I actually went with my family to see probably more than once in the theater. And, uh, you know, having watched the first two over and over again, it had that, you know, great feeling of like something new, something fresh that, you know, you were going into and like this big culmination of these movies that you love so much. And it didn't disappoint. And, you know, that that is tr- it's true that, you know, there's certain you know bit of nostalgia towards my love of Last Crusade. But the more and more I watch it, I feel like I feel the urge to defend it, you know, against the, the criticisms that I hear about it. It's still 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 important to my heart. Now, Crystal Skull just always seemed to me like a movie that just was a bad idea, just shouldn't exist. You know, just like just leave it alone. He rolled up into the sunset. It was a great, great ending. I don't need any more stories of indiana jones except unless you know maybe you want to throw me some you know spin-off you know novelization or something sure i'll read that i'll read a <laughs> choose your own adventure indiana jones book any day of the week but i just didn't want a canonical fourth adventure i just felt like it, uh, there was no reason for it and of course everyone was saying oh they're putting shia labeouf in it he's going to take over the mantle you know it's going to be like indiana jones passing the torch to this young new kid and just everything about it just said like i just want to you know i think you weren't you weren't a big I even it, stevens fan even if i even though i saw it, i liked holes even if i saw it <laughs> and hated it would be a tragedy like i didn't want there to be a bad indiana jones movie i didn't want to even take the risk that like if i saw it and hated it like i have to acknowledge like there's a bad one that i don't like you know that just like just to ignore it seemed like the easiest decision so for a while I did, I did. I just didn't go to see it in the theater. Just pretended it wasn't around. It was easy enough to just, you know, because it had, it such, was you like, know, it was like six reaction. years. It, yeah, was it was long while. after you, it came out that you saw it. And what was the context of you finally seeing it? Did we watch it together? I don't think that was the case. It was just, no, no, no. It's just, you'd always tell me like, you know, you, you liked it. You said, you know, it's ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. There's no reason <laughs> just not to give it a chance. And just one day, I just, I think I needed an idea for an article. And I thought, okay, I'm going to watch, I'm going to finally watch Crystal Skull and I'll write a review of it for the, for the website. And that's, it's just as easy as that. And so I finally saw it and, you know, we'll get into it, but you know, there's things in it that are good. There's things in it that I like. It still feels like a film that is inessential compared to the other ones to me, but uh, especially the stuff that was getting like hugely criticized, the nuke the fridge and things like that. And the, uh, Mutt swing, swing with the monkeys. That stuff didn't even bother me so much. I don't think there's anything in Crystal Skull that to me seemed 
beyond Indiana Jones ridiculous. I mean, there's lots of stuff, you know, in the first three movies. We don't, let's not get this deep into it because there's a lot to respond to. We're all going to respond to to it. I just wanted to like the overview of what you had seen because a lot of what you're saying. But the end, my impression was that wasn't bad. I didn't have to worry about there being a terrible Indiana Jones film, but certainly, you know, was not a new favorite. Yeah, it's I think you guys also don't understand how dug in John gets on things. John Cribbs before the Lord of the Rings movie came out. This is Peter Jackson was one of his favorite filmmakers at the time. He decided for one year leading up to Lord of the Rings, he was not going to watch a single movie in the theater on VHS so that his mind would be completely clear and clean to watch Lord of the Rings when it came out in the theater. And John Cribbs would not watch a fucking thing for one year. It was incredible. Somebody that I had watched so many movies with and spent so much time watching movies with dug in on this plan of not watching a single movie leading up to Lord of the Rings. And I don't even think you were a particular fan of the books, were you you were just peter jackson fanatic right yeah peter jackson fan again that that you know romance of the big event movie seemed to me be you know just something that you get swept up in and you get excited about and yeah i just kind of a twofold thing like i didn't watch movies for years so i could read more and get caught up on a lot of reading that i wanted to get done because i never had time to do both and also like I'm just going to like let the runway be clear for peter jackson and his movie and then as soon as we walked out of the theater do you remember the first thing you said after we walked out of Fellowship Lord of the Ring? Yeah. No, what? what was that? Not enough elves. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what you said at all. <laughs> That's very romantic. I like that idea, John. And I support you. That's why you're a great writer. Um, Bill, you're a little older than us. Did you see Raiders in the theater? Are you old enough to? I'm like 10 years older than you guys, I yeah. think. I'm 54. Okay. I'll be 55. And um, I remember like it was yesterday. I was a full-blown cinephile in 1981. Full-blown. I was probably 13, but I was a fanatic going to the art theater, reading all kinds of books. I remember the full-page ad for the preview the week prior. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg invite you to, to join this new you know, adventure, Indiana Jones. Right away, I read it. I was knee-deep in reading about movies. I was like, oh, this is like Nevada Smith. This is a reference to – even I got it like – because yeah. I'm a genius. Because I'm a genius. He was originally wrong. named Indiana Smith, and Spielberg See? hated Smith, so he he just switched it to Jones right then and there. That was pretty cool. And so I knew right away. I tried to go to the preview. I asked my best friend and movie going buddy Javier Garcia, <laughs> to whom I dedicate this podcast, and he goes <laughs> my portion of it. He goes. Uh, he goes, Indian Jones, those just look stupid. And I'm like, you're <laughs> out of your mind. I'll be there. But something happened. I couldn't go. The next week it opened for real. I was there opening night, opening show. Our obsession up to that time that year had been Excalibur, which we'd seen in the theater, I want to say, nine times. And we walked out of Indiana Jones. I looked at him. I looked at, at uh, Javier, who'd now seen the trailer and was pretty fired up. He looked at me. I looked at him. And he, he goes, Excalibur. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> i went home i told my mom we could walk to the theater went right back with my mom on saturday night went right back with my dad on tuesday night went right back with my other buddies like on thursday like it just i got the rolling stone magazine with india on the cover it said um spielberg and lucas team up to top star wars a fanatic I, I checked out a book on the old movie serials and just fanatic bought the soundtrack you know the whole nine man um and then uh, I I skipped school so I could go see uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom at the um, matinee opening day. I was 
somewhat underwhelmed, but I still enjoyed it. Still bought the soundtrack. Still went to see it a bunch of times. And then, uh, and then Last Crusade, you know, I saw it in the theater. So I've seen them all in the theater. And and Indiana, this one I saw, I think I'd had a son. I think I'd, my son was maybe three or four years old. And it was like one of the first outings with my, um, with Vince's mom to, to go to the movie. So that was a great night, a great uh, afternoon out as well. That's awesome. Um, for me, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is the first one I saw in the theater. And it was a really, really informative life-changing experience for me i came out of the movie and like riding in the car ride home with my dad and my sister i just remember feeling like we're in the mine cart right <laughs> you know what i mean remember it very vividly i remember the roads we took home there in pennsylvania and um and saying to my dad like i want to be an archaeologist and my dad is an engineer and a science guy and he's like they don't do any of that stuff <laughs> so it was like well then i want to be the guy who makes the movies about archaeologists i want to be the guy who does this thing that just happened and i remember very vividly him explaining to me well you want to be a director then and here's what a director does and i one of the things that he told me that confused me is he said um ghostbusters egon that guy is a director and i said he directed ghostbusters and my dad was like no he didn't direct ghostbusters and i was like i don't know what the fuck you're trying to tell me right now dad what is egon's relationship to directing what is i don't get what you're trying to say but that was it and i decided i wanted to make movies and it never flagged from five years old, like it never once flagged from wanting to go on and make my own movies and do that with my life. And that's, you know, what I'm here doing. How many years later, you know, 35 years later, 37 years later, something like that, still doing what I want to be doing because this movie like implanted it in my brain and programmed it uh, inside of me and just gave me that feeling. Um, and then I saw one of the kids who made remade uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark shot for shot. <laughs> I wish I wasn't that in to um, Raiders when I was young. My parents hesitated to let me see it. They were very sensitive to letting me watch violent stuff up until like sixth grade, something like that. Uh, so I didn't get to watch Raiders. I remember they also, I became obsessed with Harrison Ford and they wouldn't let me watch Blade Runner either. And I was like, why am I not allowed to watch Blade Runner? And my dad goes, it's extremely boring. That was his reason for not letting me watch Blade <laughs> Runner. And, uh, and from there, but I loved Last Crusade. I saw Last Crusade in the theater. And this was the VHS era. Weirdly, we didn't have any of these on VHS. So like these movies, I think I just saw uh, like Last Crusade and Temple of Doom like two or three times when I was as a kid, but they were completely implanted in my brain. But they weren't movies I watched over and over again obsessively the way I did. Like we had like a VHS of Ghostbusters and Goonies and Clue. We had taped Goonies and Clue off of TV. So we had like those versions of them. And I watched those like obsessively over and over and over again. Speaking of Clue, this time I noticed there's repeated jokes from this movie that show up in Clue. The let us in, let us in, let us out, let us out joke in Temple of Doom when they're trying to get in the, the door with the spike room. And then the uh, monkey's brain is, although popular in Cantonese cuisine, are a dish not often found in Washington, D.C. And then they get served the monkey's brain soup, the, the chilled monkey's brain. Um, but yeah, but this movie was like a really Temple of Doom was like a really, really big fucking deal to me and still is, although 
that leads into we should we just go through them each one of them in order uh because i was going to say temple of doom is the one i watch it now and i have a reaction to it of this apart from the first 10 minutes at laoche's which is awesome this movie sucks this movie really really sucks this script is fucking horrible. This is the one movie where they listened to all of George Lucas's bad ideas and he didn't listen to anybody else's good ideas. And you can see when you read interviews, that's the really unfortunate thing. George Lucas has become a target of derision that I always feel like defending him. I always feel like it's somewhat unfair, but like he's a weird, interesting artist. If you watch THX and American Graffiti, he's like actually up to something. And I find that when when I hear interviews with him, he has like sophisticated taste in movies too, right? So I'm always apt to defend him against accusations of being like this moron who bumbled his way into Star Wars and only had terrible ideas and is an idiot and they should take it and a corporation should make the most bland cookie cutter <laughs> Star Wars movies imaginable without an ounce of artistic integrity or an intelligence. That's what they should do. You know, um, I'm always I'm reading defending a, a him against Lucas him. biography right now. Yeah. And um, in the USC period, you know, while he's at film school, do you know who like his boy was at USC? I, this is something I never I, knew. John Milius. I'm going to guess. It's I'm going to guess. Right? Yeah. He's I'm gonna, Milius. I'll, They're buddies, I'll, but that's not who I'm thinking of. Well, I'm going to say his roommate was Randall Kaiser, who directed Grease, the, the, the Blue Lagoon and Summer Lovers, um, and right. also perhaps Flight of the Navigator, perhaps, I think. That's right. <laughs> Grand County Grand, USA himself. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm that's ready crazy. For the, yeah, Randall's a very good director. <laughs> <laughs> He's an interesting filmmaker. Uh, sure. John, John Waters loves him. That's my only knowledge about I, him. I, I love Greece. I'm a Greece guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Greece, I feel like, is generational. I feel like if you were not there for Greece or a teenage girl, you don't like Greece now. Greece was a movie I saw and I was like, I don't fucking understand how this was a hit. Not that it's good or bad, just like, I don't know what I'm looking at here. I don't know what how this is connecting with people. It's really, I feel like an old man when I watched that movie. When I watched it when I was 10, I was like, this is this is not for me. Whatever this is, I don't get it. What's happening here? Well, the Indiana Jones trilogy is generational. One thing I realized showing these movies to my kids is that like they won't appreciate that like, when Ra you know, we when we watched Raiders, my father covered my eyes when the Nazis melted. When we watched Temple of Doom, he covered my brother's eyes, my younger brother's mm -hmm. eyes, when the heart got ripped out. When we watched Last Crusade, he covered my sister's eyes when mm -hmm. Donovan, you know, gets destroyed at the end of the movie. Like how much it means just to like growing up in that period in the eighties, you know, is that's huge, really cool. Huge cultural impact there. That's well, really cool. What I was gonna say about George Lucas though is if you read interviews and watch behind the scenes footage and documentaries about making the Indiana Jones movies over and over and over. George Lucas has nothing but terrible ideas for what to do with these movies. And the, all of it, all of these movies getting made is people trying to convince him to not open Last Crusade with a haunted house with ghosts in it. Right. <laughs> and him not listening to uh, Sean Connery arguing, I think that uh, he shouldn't be a like Yoda figure in this movie who just departs wisdom to his son. I think he should be a kind of comedic figure. Right. Like all of the conversations are just 
George Lucas's bad ideas, people trying to talk him out of them, and people trying to talk them into his good ideas. And I think Temple of Doom is the most George Lucasy, where he brings in Gloria Katz and Willard Hook, who are awful, awful writers, not talented people at all. And they're Lucas's and, people too, right? I mean, they wrote- Yeah, like, they're like his TV. buddies, well, uh, and, right? And Radio, Radio Land Murders. Which is bad. I was gonna ask, you seem like a Lucky Lady fan though, Bill. It seems like Burt, Gene Hackman, like you're probably into Lucky Lady. Let me say, I'd like to see that movie. I'm, not, uh, I'm kind of thinking of like a, a, a double feature with like Silver Bears uh, and Lucky Lady or some, some movie, some 70s movie with Sybil. Yeah, but I haven't done it. Yet. I haven't done it yet. Oh, you've never seen Lucky Lady? Don't even know what it is. It's, I mean, I guess I've seen the I've seen the poster. It's it's uh, it's like a rum running movie with Gene Hackman and Burt Reynolds directed by Stanley Donan in the late 70s. And, it's, and I guess. They Big wrote him, and also Howard the they Duck. Wrote, they wrote. They wrote Howard the, Howard Duck. the Duck. Yeah. yeah. But but Lucky Lady was a big hit at the time. I was shocked by because I and they wrote best defense. Can you believe they fucking wrote Holy best defense? Holy shit. Yeah. That's a shitty movie, dude. Yeah, they <laughs> fucking suck. And like That's they're brought in to do Temple of Doom, you know, and it's like Temple of Doom is all Lucas's fault. I, I, it's all go Lucas's ahead, sorry. fault. Sorry, no, go on, Bill. Well, um, no, you know, there's a, it, I, while we talk about George, you know, that. so there's this, I'll get to, I'll defend George later when we get around to, uh, <laughs> to Last Crusade, which I think has, um, not Last Crusade, uh, this, this, uh, the, uh, this Crystal movie, Skull. the Crystal Skull, yeah, which I think has l lots of stuff that people blame on George, but I think you could say it might be Spielberg's thing too, but let's, I'll wait, I'll wait. Or David yeah. go up. David Cap. I'm going to make you pronounce his name right this time. Let's start with Raiders. So this is a really good fucking movie, right, guys? Fuck yeah, it is. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, I, one of the best movies ever made. Like, I, good, good Lord. It's amazing. I couldn't favorite, agree more. What's your favorite moment from Raiders, John? Um, you know, I, I think the... The older I, I get, the, the more I just I just love the the shot of Harrison Ford in in the sunset, just like as as you know his dig team is digging and we hear that sort of chant going, and it's just this moment of repose between action and as thrilling as the action is throughout the film, I just think it's just such a like a magical few seconds that um, so many blockbusters don't even bother to attempt anymore it's a um, beautiful shot and it's functional yeah. because he he changes from his disguise back into his hat and coat yeah. and you're like that's that's the moment yeah. where he changes back into indiana jones in the nazi camp and also when the fucking nazis melt like <laughs> obviously <laughs> it's gorgeous i mean that yeah. seems amazing obviously yeah john that's what's your the... favorite oh sorry go on mr tech no that's the, that's the moment that i always single out in raiders and say why is high and above the best one why the other ones are nothing like it I mean, they don't have that moment they don't have moments like it you know temple of doom is a, a, a maybe the first movie as video game or as ride you know a theme park ride that raiders is a movie it has a shot like that uh that elevates the whole thing it has a shot like where you see sala's reaction uh, John Rice Davies is that the actor's name? Yeah, and he's 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 you see his reaction. You hear Ford laughing. Cuts back to Ford ages later, way too late. It's like a cool old school Ford cut, 
um, John Ford, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, and it's back to him as you know. They call him Balanch, and you hear Indies laugh. Then you see him, Bella. You know, it's such a movie, movie, and it does so many movie, movie things. Whether it's with the monkey and the dates, or the monkey saying how Hitler, whatever it is, like it's, it's you know not what I a love machine. The movie, the monkey with the date scene. Watching it this time, every single scene, the script is phenomenal. Uh, as bad as the script for Temple of Doom is, the script for Raiders and Last Crusade are that good. And uh, but the scene with the monkey and the dates, that's like an expositional scene where they're putting pieces of the puzzle together. And he just comes up with how do we make this also a thriller set piece? Right. And so it's just he has the guy duck in and pour the poison on the dates. Right. And then them going about the scene. And now Indy's picked up a date and he's almost putting it in his mouth. Something comes to him. And it's amazing that he has this idea uh, not just the idea, but just like, let's make every scene three layers of stuff. Let's have the emotional interaction. Let's have the narrative expositional interaction. And then let's have like set piece action on top of it. And just, he doesn't waste any scene without trying to make it more interesting and tense. The really only example is early on when it's him and the government guys talking about the grail itself. Every other scene just layers this stuff on top of each other in a way that's just phenomenally good. Like he just doesn't waste any moment he can to make it interesting. And just yeah. some of the lines in this movie, in that movie are just so good. Like in that scene, good God, Every other script would have ended on that. But when yeah. Marcus Brody says, yes, that's what the Hebrews thought, like, <laughs> holy shit, that's such a good way to, to set the tone for the rest of the movie. Like, oh, this is serious power of God stuff that we're dealing with in the 20th century. And it just raises the, it, you're able to suspend your disbelief that much more that we're going to actually be uncovering the Ark of the Covenant. Well, it's also funny that you talk about faith in God. When I was watching it this time, I had the very striking thought of like, this is a very, this is like a very Hebrew Jewish movie for Spielberg, you know, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's about like his God, you know, the Yahweh of the, of the Old Testament. And it was funny because I was thinking, this is a fantasy about killing Nazis. Why do I find this fantasy uh, appealing when I find the fantasy of Inglorious Bastards like childish and stupid, right? Like, why do I find this Nazi killing fantasy very appealing and that one very dumb and childish? And it's because of this. The fantasy of Inglorious Bastards is what if I were awesome enough that I could kill every Nazi? And the fantasy of Raiders of the Lost Ark is what if my God were awesome enough that he could destroy all evil in the world, right? And that's a really beautiful fantasy. And that's also like if you're the Jewish people who have been persecuted endlessly throughout history and endured somehow, you can only look and say, this is the protection of my God and my culture and my people the power of my God that has allowed us to endure in the face of this. And that's a really beautiful, powerful thought that you don't get with like, you know what I would have done if it was World War II? I would have gone and shot Hitler. And it's like, shut the fuck up, man. You know, just like get out of my face with that. It's about the power, the fantasy of like, what if I were powerful enough to do this versus the fantasy, the beautiful fantasy of like, what if my God were powerful enough to do this? And I think it's such a, a trenchant statement about the more hypocrisy of Nazism or fascism is that these nazis are so desperate to find the real power of judaism 
So yeah. it's their own, it's their <laughs> acknowledgement of their own hypocrisy in order to fulfill this goal of conquest. So it, it's, it, you know, you don't go to a, an Indiana Jones movie for social commentary, but I think if you're going to have a Nazi killing fantasy, I think that's, you know, the way to do it. I don't feel very comfortable with this Jewish ritual. <laughs> this Hebrew ritual. He says Hebrew ritual. Does he say Jewish? No, it's Hebrew because I specifically remember they don't say the word Jewish in the movie. Oh, they say well, they say well, Hebrew over and over. I've always heard it that way. That's yeah. very interesting. That's very interesting. I have to def- I have to say, you know, I said dissenter again. You know, I liked the <laughs> Glorious Bastards. I loved it, and I thought, well, maybe the God is cinema. Then the cinema destroys all the Nazis. Um, That's but, a very but, thin fantasy. Sorry, but uh, <laughs> but but you know, I had to throw just my thing so, in. just so long as Emil Jannings gets killed. That's all I care about. <laughs> but then in um, you know in Raiders, another thing that's beautiful, and you're right about the religious aspect of it, and the way that's presented, it's in a book. He just yeah. opens up a book, the cue the Williams music, he turns the book around, and the the thing about those Spielberg movies of that era is that they had the most amazing sound. He, yeah. he did beautiful visuals, but he's working with sound so profoundly. So whether it's the way the guy at the end of the movie says, well, who's on it? Top men. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the way he pronounced it. But Great everything about it, the, <laughs> the chalk on the, on the, the chalk on the chalkboard, the... Uh, just every little thing and it also has a great sense of play like you'd think well this is how a child would play you drop it to the well of the souls well not the well of the souls that map room and you know you blow the sand off and he the way he takes out the little um notebook the little moleskin kind of notebook and he puts the rubber band on his wrist and takes the pencil out and starts to jot it down you're like you know this is kind of playing you know you know what's funny is you know why he opens on the shot of the mountain matching the paramount logo how he got that idea nope his last name spielberg means play mountain and his idea was that he was going to make a movie where he plays around on the mountain for him was the idea that he had. That's what caused, gave him the idea of the opening shot and of his approach to how he wanted to approach this movie. And it is interesting, if you look at his movies before this, we think of Spielberg as doing kid stuff and doing family-friendly entertainment. He's not that before this moment. Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Sugarland Express are not E.T., You know, they are not Hook. They are not Ready Player One. They're not any of that. And so it's a conscious decision he makes to be like, I'm going to be Mr. Play Mountain. When he was a kid, his his made up production company was called Play Mountain Pictures, right? Based on his last name. And so that's how the idea got crystallized in his head to do that opening shot matching the Paramount logo. He can play. You see this, Bill? This is the map room. From the Raiders of the Lost Ark playset. John, John is God. now showing us a toy. I wow. no longer have the Staff of Raw, sadly. You but broke it in half over somewhere. your knee after you found it, right? That's right. So the Nazis couldn't use it. <laughs> but, you know, well, even just that guy's voice, come here, sit down, sit down, and take back Un Kadan to honor the Hebrew God <laughs> whose Ark this is. is. <laughs> right? So the staff is the wrong size. That's a really cool. Um, I would have loved to have those toys when I was young. I would have loved great toys. 
you know um, um or, or, or now <laughs> <laughs> just uh, bill yeah, another the, the, wait yeah. bill another thing you made me think of when you're talking about that moment right how they don't have the moments they leave out of blockbusters and the other movie the moment that got me so hard this time and i know it's because i'm just like adore karen allen so much we talk about this on the wanderers episode i'm just like totally defenseless to her charms when she kisses sal and says this is for your father this is for your children oh and this is for you. And it's just like, who wouldn't melt in that moment? And just that moment, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. These aren't characters who have necessarily like been building to this in any way. It's just like so revealing of her. It's such a beautiful sentiment. And it's just like, oh my God, this movie is just top to bottom packed with this shit. That's not in other blockbusters. That, that chokes me up to, to talk about that. And I get choked up thinking about that scene when he leaves singing. And as a child of the 70s, who was, you know, coming into his movie going in the in the 80s, we were coming out of the 70s, which were so brutal. You know I love my 70s flicks. But yeah. there was a brutality to the action films, uh, the uh, sadism. So when Salah walks off in any movie from the 70s, the Nazis are waiting for him. And yeah. they kill him. And when Salah walks off and he just walks off and we cut to the ship <laughs> and we were, everybody in the theater was like, are they not going to kill him? Yeah. Fucking hey, this is awesome. <laughs> he's going to live. That was a thrill because in every other movie that had action in it, he's going to get killed. And Do that guys- sucks. Why does he have to die? He was great. And he it is awesome. Out- I agree 100%. Do you guys know who was originally, uh, who the role of Salah was written for and wanted to do it, but couldn't get out of his TV contract? No. Tom Selleck. Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. The role was written for Danny DeVito. He wanted to do it, and they would not let him off taxi to go do it. Isn't that crazy? 80s TV was brutal. (laughs) <laughs> with keeping people wrapped up in contracts. They they hate these cans. They hate these cans. That's from <laughs> is that the show. reason that Tom Selleck couldn't do it either? Is he? Yes. yes. The, the story is that Steven Spielberg was talking to his friend who ran CBS TV and was like, we found this great actor. His name Tom Selleck. We're going to put him in the movie. And his friend was like, no, you're not, because we have him under contract. Spielberg was like, what do you mean? He's like, we're going to make him do this show. Like, what show? And then he hears later, Magnum P.I. And it seems like just a pure act of spite. Like, they weren't even planning on doing Magnum P.I. necessarily until they heard that it was good, that they were going to put this guy in a big movie. And he's like, no, we found him. You didn't find him. We found him. We have him under contract already. Wow. Have you ever seen the screen test? Yeah, the screen test of him and Sean Young. Uh, it's really interesting to watch Sung Young and watch someone do that role overtly sexy as opposed to that sort of circuitous sweetness and intelligence that arrives at sexy. It's very fascinating to to see her, somebody play it like, <laughs> like a better actress doing Kate Capshaw in Temple of Doom, you know? Well, that's another thing I love about this, the structure of the screenplay, which, you know, you keep saying he, but obviously uh, Philip Kaufman was brought in to work on the story I think it was his idea to, you know, incorporate the arc and all that kind of cool it's, stuff. It's and, a lot more Philip Kaufman's idea than I think I ever knew when I was researching yeah. it this time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really sort of shocked they muscled Philip Kaufman out of it in a meaningful way. Didn't muscle yeah. him out. And he went to do Pale. Coming in he had to do a uh, Pale Rider. Kasdan had to go or um, uh, Philip Kaufman had to go off to do not Pale Rider, the Eastwood movie. He got fired from. What's it fucking Outlaw called? Outlaw Josie Wales. Outlaw Josie Wales. 
outlaw Josie Wells. I can't believe I messed that up, but you guys knew what I was talking about. You have your Eastwood credentials well established. (laughs) But they were going to, he and Lucas came up with the idea together, worked on it for like three or four weeks, uh, got like it in shape. And then um, George Lucas was like, write it. And he was like, I got hired to do this Eastwood movie. I got to go do Eastwood, right? And left to do that. And that's when uh, a while later, actually, they brought um, Kasdan in because it sort of like went into hibernation for a bit. And then Kasdan, uh, when they got the idea to do it as Spielberg's next movie, Kasdan came on. Yeah, I was amazed amazed when I read the story notes, how much of it was there, like just in that one phone call. Yeah. yeah. You ever see that paper yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's like a yellow legal pad and you're like, what? This that's is a what I'm, movie. That's what I'm saying. As a Philip Kaufman super fan, I sort of look at this and I go, mm, I smell a lot more Kaufman in this thing than I do in the other ones. And that might be why it's better than the other ones. Sure, sure. But the, uh, the build of this screenplay, though, I mean, the way that, you know, we're introduced to Indiana Jones, a man who, you know, outruns a boulder, you know. Just an ultimate badass, you know, doing doing everything we all love. Just the ultimate fantasy hero meets Marion Ravenwood. And she punches him in the face, you know, and he melts in front of her. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she's just the toughest character taking on the tough character. And then she is immediately, you know, in danger when uh, Toth comes along. And we know that the villains, the stakes have been raised with the villains. Just every single build is just like more stakes, more danger. And like, you know, as it gets closer and closer to the arc, like Bill said, you know, Sala has his great line about what the arc can do uh, when they're, when they're talking to the government agents, you know, they, they're talking about what a horrible thing it could be in the wrong hands. We just, you just love the build of this. Like you're just anticipating everything getting, just gets up and up and keeps going higher and higher until the climax. It's just fantastic. And, now, and I love how, you know, uh, Karen Allen plays Marion, you know, so tough. You know, she punches Indiana Jones in the face, but she's also simultaneously so open-hearted and upfront with her emotions. So as, you know, when Indy and Marion first meet in that bar again, you know, Indy's trying to play it cool. He's cynical throughout the first, you know, half of the film. Um, I don't believe in that mumbo jumbo, da, 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 but but Marion is so open hearted and clear with what she's feeling while also being tough and, you know, with this armor on. So to have those two emotional states happening simultaneously is just a credit to Karen Allen as, as an actress. It's it just one of the best, like, yeah, and the, way she, the, Indy, the whole arc for Indy is to kind of like find that faith, you know, mm-hmm. that she kind of brings out in him to not like look at artifacts as just these things that belong in a museum, but like that they might have like the history in them that has power, you know, that they still have power within them and that there is something greater to them than just like a thing. And the same thing where he strolls in with Marion and thinks, I know, I know this kid, I know how to handle her. And she immediately punches him in the face. And it's just constantly, you know, throwing him for a loop. You know, he's just, he's understanding that there's more to this woman and there's more to this relationship that he ever knew. It's just a great, it, just a fantastic art for the game. It, it, and a fantastically, again, that's so playful when she, uh, uh, we and they talk about screenplays, the way they establish that she can drink at the top in her very first introduction. And then as soon as Salah brings out the wine, you think, oh my God, she's going <laughs> to, but it's so well done. It's not like one of these by the numbers thing is so well done. And then when she goes for the knife and pulls it on, Belloc and he just laughs, you know. You know, it's they a, um 
she and uh, Paul Freeman wrote that scene. There was no scene together. What happened was, is uh, in the script, it was just he offers her the dress and she puts it on. And she went to Spielberg and she was like, this is dumb. Why would he just put on the dress? Why would she just put on the dress? And he said, you know what? I challenge you to come up with a reason for that. So she and Paul Freeman went off and improvised that whole scene, wrote that scene all out, came up with the idea of the knife, came up with the idea of seducing him, came up with the idea of being fake drunk for him, right? All of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, they essentially wrote it and put it together. So there was nothing to that scene before it. It essentially opened with them sitting there. And then um, I can't remember the bad Nazi's name who comes in and does the coat hanger joke. What's that character's so name? So funny. Oh. What? Toth? Toth. Tote. So Tote comes in. It just opened with him coming in initially on that gag. But instead, they wrote this whole thing. Like, I think Karen Allen brings a huge amount to the to the film in, in that way. I agree with you Good guys question. 100%. For sure. Yeah, the movie's full of those things that the other ones just don't have. They don't have that, that, that you know, looseness. There's a looseness to the movie. I, I disagree. I think Last Crusade has a lot of the looseness and the similar good qualities to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think that it's it's different enough that I can see a perspective on someone saying it's different, but I think it has a ton of those moments and a ton of that looseness and understands how to balance the sincerity and seriousness with the, with the action and the comedy, the way Raiders does, you know, in a way that like the problem with Temple of Doom is it's awful comedy top to bottom, you know, like that's, that's Raiders and, and Last Crusade know how to mix the comedy in in the same way. Yeah, Temple of Doom uses I broke a nail as a punchline. Like like seven times. Yeah. It uses like Kate Capshaw fell over. It, more people fall down in that movie than fall down in Ugetsu Monogatari. You know what I'm saying, John Cribbs? Yeah. More people fall down in that movie than like makes human sense. And it's always played like it's going to be funny. And it's never funny once to see like Kate Capshaw flopping around or, you know, uh, short round falling over or any of that shit. Problem with her is the noise. <laughs> I agree 100%. Very truthful statement. Very, very truthful. But uh, Spielberg cast Karen Allen because he was a big Animal House fan. He really liked her in Animal House. That's why he uh, wanted her in uh, Raiders of the Lost Really? Earth. There's no Philip Kaufman connection whatsoever? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. They seem to have written him out of the story pretty conclusively. Uh, and maybe he didn't have that big of a story. Maybe his part in the story is four weeks of ideas and, and that's it. But mm. yeah, it was, they, he said, and he had seen her in Animal House and really- well, I think Tim Matheson really was it. a candidate for Indiana Jones too, wasn't he? No yeah, way. she screen tested with Tim Matheson. Okay. And wow. if you watch, yeah, if you watch that screen test, you're like, why can you imagine how bad this movie would have been with Tim Matheson in the role? And you know- um, uh, you know, they didn't want to use Harrison Ford initially. Spielberg wanted to use him, but George Lucas was like, I'm sick of having this guy in my movies. I don't want him to be my Robert De Niro to, to Scorsese, right? Like, I want to go off and use other people. And then after the Tom Selleck fallout happened, they had <laughs> Spielberg was like, fuck it. We're using Harrison Ford. I don't care what. Again, talking him out of his bad idea to not use Harrison Ford. You know, talking him out of his, his terrible idea. That's like the story of these movies. Any other thoughts on Raiders? Are we going to move on to Temple of Doom? John, you didn't tell us your favorite moment from Raiders or the moment that stuck out with you the most, Mr. Cribs. Because uh, they've all been mentioned already. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> They're all great. I mean, it's, it's not when she sang to him. Is there any part of you that doesn't hurt? Points here. 
I love that moment too. That's yeah. a great yeah. moment. That's yeah, a terrific. great moment. And a piece of comedy that works, you know, where she pulls the mirror up and wangs him in the chin. So funny. Scream. And then you <laughs> cut to the outside. Fantastic. Did you say something? You know what? I was I was with our friend Kevin Marr recently, John, and uh, he was talking about with a friend of his. Did you guys know that it's like commonly among Indiana Jones fans seen as when they get to the boat, the movie gets boring and you can go to the bathroom or go get popcorn? I was shocked to hear that because I love that shit so much. Yeah. I love all of that. There's no time, I love there's all no that. time to go to the bathroom in this movie. <laughs> there is no time to go to the bathroom. And I love the, the actor that plays Captain Katanga. His voice is fantastic. Yeah. He just does that cool voice. And, you know, the, they play that ruse against the Nazis. And when Indy, when they all point to Indy on the getting onto the sub, and the, yeah. the, 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 the score really gets, that's one of the most rousing, if not the most rousing, along with the, the yeah, truck, the you know, the chair. horse and the truck. It's so good. How, you don't want to miss that. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers for the musical score of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's very good. Don't tell anyone. So I'll start on Temple of Doom since I've been outspoken about being it being bad. Do you guys like Temple of Doom? What's the general feeling on Temple of Doom? I know, Bill, you said you weren't super into it. John and John, do you guys like it? Bill, do you like it? I admire that it's so weird. And I definitely think... It's it's weird in its bit. When I saw it initially, I was very underwhelmed. I was expecting a movie with a bunch of different locales, you know, like like Raiders, a bunch yeah. of different, th- and they're just in that friggin' Temple of Doom the whole movie. That other than very soundstagey soundstage. Yeah, you're yeah. like, why are they in there the whole time? And then you got all those chases, but that's not what's great about Raiders that they play the song and he's got a hat. That's not what's great about it. It's an exciting real movie with real characters, and it's got beats, and it's got all kinds of things that are not in it. So it left me sort of cold. I did love the open and I love Steven Spielberg indulge his big Bubsy Berkeley musical, you know, and I love that. And uh, that, was, uh, that was actually George Lucas's idea to open with a musical number. He That's said, let's do a Busby Berkeley. And he said That's... it because Spielberg always talked about wanting to do musicals. And he said, here's your chance. That's and, very interesting. And I, and I love that it's in, what is it, Cantonese or Mandarin? In Cantonese. And, she had yeah. to learn it all in Cantonese. And That's, she was supposed to do a big dance number two, but the dress was too tight. And there was only one version of that dress. It was like from a very expensive dressmaker in uh, London. And so they were afraid to like make any alterations to it because it was like a fancy dress. Then an elephant mentioned tore my, friend, it up later my, my high school friend, Jack Lund, who I one day shouted across. I saw him down the hallway. I went, Jack! Wasane! Wasane! <laughs> and he like looked at me weird and then later on i was like what does that mean anyway he's like it means i'm gonna kill you <laughs> oh my god <laughs> don what do you think of uh temple of doom um you know mixed uh <laughs> yeah the, the opening is fantastic i really do like the minecart chase sequence um an evil cult leader pulling out a flaming heart out of somebody. That's that's really my jam too. I, I can't help but <laughs> but love that kind of stuff. There's gross bugs, you know, awesome. Um, but I don't understand the indie Kate Capshaw romance. Like if I don't have a problem with Kate Capshaw as an actress, but the character as written, I don't understand why they would get together in any way like the the chemistry between those two characters is just especially when compared to to marrying an indie it's 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 nothing 
and so you know it just so pales in comparison to Raiders. Um, Why would the, Spielberg fall in love with Alice in Duty? That's my question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like the you know the the cultural insensitivity really like doesn't sit well with me. A bunch of Hindus eating monkey brains, like yeah, that yeah, and I know that like there's some like not great stuff uh in in raiders too but but that that's easily overlooked in comparison to 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 temple of doom and so just you know i i want to feel good (laughs) watching an indie movie and that that stuff is just kind of like yeah um but i i actually i do really like the chemistry between short round and indie i like their relationship some of the jokes are are bad um but but i think they they perform well together yeah you know you know, I watched this. This is the last indie movie that I've seen in the theater because I took my kid and his best buddy to see it at a retrospective. Whoa. Cool. Yeah. And so it's this this guy, uh, Naiba Stefan, Gloria Stefan's son. He's a b- biggest cinephile, one of the biggest cinephiles I've ever met. And he runs this great thing called Night Owl Theater. And it's like a whole production. They dress up in Ghostbusters. It's crazy. It's a real thing. It's a great way to see a movie. And he screened it. And it was this huge palace, movie palace in Miami Beach. And it was this purple print from 1980. Oh, because that's in, Yeah, because that's when they were in the period from like 77 to 83 or 84. They were using a process at Technicolor that caused the prints to degrade to pink terribly. When I was programming the theater, I would never book a 35 from 77 to 84 without seeing the print first because they turn like invisible. It was a no. pain in the ass, but it was not that bad. I've seen worse. I saw Worst Thief once, but um, oh but my this, god, it was, it was I saw rough. a um, I saw a uh, uh, not Bridge on the River Kwai, the big war movie from the late seventies. Uh, Bridge too far. Bridge too far. That was invisible. You could not <laughs> see it. It was it was so pink, and all of the smoke, the screen would just turn invisible. Anyway. <laughs> So we went to go see it, and you know, I always say Spielberg is like the other son of Ford. You got Peter, yeah. you got Spielberg, and they, Spielberg really makes old kind of movies from the wonders that he uses to the way he does a very old way of traditional way of making cinema, despite being this technical maverick and being so forward as well. I think he's incredible, of course. So I'm watching Temple of Doom, and now. All the stuff that I didn't like when I was young, it's all landing. The whole, all the bits with Willie Scott and Indy in the rooms, you know, trying to get to each other's bedrooms. And he's he's trying to get laid. And that was lost on me. I mean, you know, uh, when I watched it in the theater, he he's trying to score. She would like to go to bed with him. It's supercharged up. It's the most um, kind of adulty stuff that's not weird. In, in any of the movies, uh, because, you know, people always bring up these strange, they're, they're both adults and they're really trying to get together and they can't. And after, you know, I've watched a lot more uh, 30s, 40s movies now. So I just kept thinking, well, this is really old school. You've got the old school musical. You've got this. I'm liking this more. But then, of course, once we get to the Temple of Doom. Not so much, but uh, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. But, um, I texted to Chris yesterday when he told me this movie was this movie's bad. I said it gets good when they get to the temple. 
Oh, that's funny. <laughs> you see, we all bringing our own. It's a Rorschach test is what it is. <laughs> There's a great scene in the movie, Oh God, Book Two, when they're showing the little girl these Rorschach tests to see if she's nuts, you know, because she's talking to George Burns with God. And they're like, what does this mean to you? And then she's like, that looks like spaghetti. What does this mean to you? And that's egg foo young. <laughs> and they're like, interesting. She correlates everything to food. And she's like, well, it, it could be that I'm starving. <laughs> Temple of Doom is the only one of the original trilogy I've never seen in the theater. I have a funny quick uh, Raiders theater story. When we were growing up and watched Raiders again and again and again on Pan and Scan video, my brother and I became obsessed with these two Nazi soldiers at the end when they open the ark who like run away. They like they like as soon as they like the weird shit starts to happen, oh, they take wow. they take off. And so we're like, there are two guys, two Nazi guys who were smart enough to get out of there. They survived. So I see for the first time at the Norma Jean up in Albany on uh, 35 millimeter. And I see these two guys. And in the long shot, you see them go all the way to the back of the crowd and stop and turn around. They'd never got away after all. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Stupid Nazis. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys seem, seem really disappointed that those Nazis lived. I don't want to say anything well, maybe about they. You like to think they renounced, you know, their evil and were like, this was going to like, all right, we're going to be. After being gonna, exposed to the one now. true Abrahamic God, they renounced their belief in the occult and the brotherhood of man. Exactly. For me, Temple of Doom, I'll just say, Temple of Doom, the one reason I can never write it off entirely is it has the greatest Indiana Jones moment, the greatest Indiana Jones shot, in my opinion. And it's when. After he's come back from uh, the deep sleep, you know, and he's going to free the kids when it's the, the, the light from the mine uh, cart comes up on him, the camera goes up to his face and he just looks so pissed, you know, and he's just, <laughs> you just see that like, this is a guy who has just like been fucked with this entire movie and it's just at the end of it and he is going to kick some ass right now. And it's just the most amazing steely face that like Harrison Ford gives. I think Raiders, you know, almost feels kind of like Spielberg and Lucas are kind of doing like their version of a tough hero, which is a little dorky, you know, they're like little dorky stuff in there. But with Temple of Doom, which of course is a prequel to Raiders, you get kind of like an earlier, angrier, younger version of Indy. And, you know, this is you're seeing his moment where he's just like, I'm going to unleash the wrath of God now on these people for what they're doing and, you know, freeing the kids. It's just such a great fucking moment. And that's why I always think of it like, Oh, the temple stuff is great because it has that mm -hmm. like one shot in there where you just like, Oh, I'm on Indy's side but, right now. Like, but he's we bring it in, bring it. We, in. we talked about this, John too, where part of the, one of the ways in which the script is very bad is, uh, of the comedy we talked about, but the problem is it takes about an hour for the thuggy cult to be revealed who are not really doing anything in the story until we see them. Right. And then as soon as the thuggy, it takes forever to get there, to get to the villains and get to the story, to get to any meaningful plot one hour in out of a hour and 55 minute movie, something like that. And then immediately Indiana Jones is placed in the black sleep. So for like 10 to 15 minutes, Indiana Jones isn't in the Indiana Jones movie, which finally just started after all of this dumb comedic nonsense, right? And then as soon as they find the cult, the next thing they do immediately after they find the cult is they end the cult. There's no complications to it whatsoever. So it's just this terribly written script that has no sense of narrative flow or how to build between set pieces. It just thinks like, 
okay, we got there. Now we'll just do the set pieces and then it will do the mine carts and the rope bridge and then we're over. But yeah. there's no, it's Full like spectrum. they find them. Indiana Jones doesn't do anything because he's in deep sleep and then it's over, right? And it also repeats, we see the guy get his heart pulled out and brought down to the lava, right? And then immediately, like two scenes later, Kate Capshaw gets put on the thing to be brought down. It's like, we just saw this. It's just such a bad written script in terms of those narrative ideas and how to handle the flow of the narrative. It just, it just does not know what it is doing, is what I would say about this script, is that it just does not have any good ideas on how to handle the story sense of proportionality then let alone like the stuff you mentioned bill of like we're at lao shay's at the beginning you know or i guess it's the is it the club obi-wan because they it's club obi-wan because that lao shay doesn't own it they're there at the beginning they jump out the window and then they take a plane and they go to india and that's it. There's two places, you know, whereas Raiders, you have them starting out in Peru, then they go back up to the Northeast to college, then they go to to uh, Jordan, they just bounce around the world in that way. And this one does not do that. And it's interesting because they re they borrowed. So th I don't know how much we can we can fault Willard and Gloria for this part of it, but they borrowed a lot of scenes that were in the Raider script that didn't make it right. Like yeah, they get yeah. to Nepal by having a fight and then they let they but that's so stupid. Like you, you have a fight on the plane and you're in a boat and then the boat lands and you go to the bottom of it. And he would get to Marion's door that way initially in the later yeah. script. And I'm like, that's just about the dopiest thing I've ever heard. And yeah. then they're like, you know what? Not, that's not, we, we made one of the top all time movies. Let's just get those old ideas. and those, <laughs> those, We'll paste them in here. That doesn't sound like a good idea. Yeah. At all. Because, you know, a lot of the very basic things in Raiders that worked, that make it, you know, one of the most fun movies ever made just aren't translated into Temple of Doom. It's like, you know, ideas for individual set pieces are are translated. So the Globetrot is not there. The the co-star who's more than a match for her leading man. Um, the, the, the cadre of sidekicks who are resourceful and fun and funny. We get one in Temple of Doom, but that's it. Um, villains who have several tete-a-tetes with our hero. You know, it, it's just the the things that worked in Raiders. Well, it's also like, like big picture things. Just they they just leave on the cutting room floor for Temple of Doom in, in favor of, like Chris, you said, unattached set pieces. And you mentioned the villains. Who the fuck is Molaram? He's the guy yeah. in charge who does, like, does he have any lines other than, you know, Molderon, Schmolderon, you know, whatever the hell he's Kalima. Yeah. Like he's just some oh, crap. Now someone else is gonna die. Yeah, it's just like it's just he doesn't he doesn't have anything to do to a point where I kept when I was uh, when I was watching it again, I was like, did I miss who this is? Is he that introduced earlier? Is this supposed to be the the gentleman in glasses, the prime minister that they've been talking to? And he looks so different. It's very and then it's it's very like who is this guy? What is this? And there's no description. He's he's killed almost immediately after being introduced in and terms of narrative flow. And what's so great about Belloc as a villain is that the first time we see him, he beats Indiana Jones. Yeah. He's a better archaeologist than <laughs> well, Indiana Jones. Him. He beats him throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and so Indy's facing Belloc and, and Nazis. And... and 
and he protects Karen Allen. Balak seems to be just as in love with Marion Ravenwood Mm -hmm. as Indy is in a very sincere way. He's constantly sacrificing his stake and his position to help Marion the way Indy is. He's a very much evil reflection of Indy in a way that's extremely interesting. he He even says it to him. It would only take one small nudge to make you... Such as that. We're not so different. Yeah. So now you're getting And, and usually that's so such a good. cliche that you roll your eyes at it that, that you're like, oh, shut up. You're, you're, you're trying to make your script more interesting than it is. But with Belloc, the way he's written, the way he's performed, it's totally on point and totally on point. You further into the story. And Belloc knowing, Belloc knowing like he's not going to blow it up, blow it up, Indiana Jones. Yeah. You don't. Oh you're my God! Not gonna fucking do it because I wouldn't fucking do it. You know. And he doesn't do it. It's so good. Now, so two that quick. Actually, might be my favorite scene in Raiders. Honestly, it's <laughs> a pretty amazing yeah. scene. Uh, two quick Raiders questions because we can't leave it alone. Do you know which are the two pieces of stock footage that are used in the film? No idea. No. And they're not in the film as homages to stock footage. They're in the film because, you know, it was the first Spielberg movie that he brought in supposedly under budget and under schedule. And he was like, yeah. no, no, we're not, I'm not going to do that 1941 shit again. Even though I love that movie. Um, the submarine stuff? Uh, no. The shot when they're in Washington of the busy street in the Washington Monument. Oh. So this, the scene uh, when they're in Washington, you know, right before they're going down the steps when they've, they've gotten out of the hearing. Uh, and you see this busy street and you see the Washington Monument. That's from the Hindenburg, the Robert Wise movie. Ooh, wow. And they said, like, let's just grab that. And then the plane is heading to Nepal at the top is from the 1973 remake of Lost Horizon. Wow. Holy shit. And I just grab it. <laughs> and they didn't that. even make a thing about it. They were just like, fuck, it's part of this, these <laughs> kinds of movies. <laughs> John Cribbs, cool. you mentioned the you mentioned the submarine. Do you know where they got the submarine from? Any of you guys? Das Boot. From Das Boot. Das Boot. Uh, really? Had, yeah, Das Boot hadn't gone into production yet, and they had gotten word that Wolfgang Peterson, for his TV miniseries, had had made this very fancy sub, and so they rented it for two weeks or whatever. Wow, that's fucking cool. Um, that's interesting. And, because and U-boats, because uh, U-boats didn't really exist. Uh, submarines weren't available for movies or available to rent, mm-hmm. so they didn't know where to get it. They also that's... had to build the uh, flying wing from scratch because, because they the flying weren't... wing did not exist ever. Yes, it was never built. There I were read like... that in yeah. <laughs> There were plans for them. They there might have been experimental versions, but they were never in use to be actually on an airfield. I guess this is really going to bring the party down. Have you guys heard of the, the and you probably hate that show, but you know that show, The Big Bang Theory? I find it very funny. There's an episode called The Raiders Minimization. Are you familiar with it? No. Never seen the show. Well, Raiders is all their favorite show, or their favorite movie, because, you know, they're, they're, like I'm a nerd. And, they're a little yeah. nerdy, you know? and so they love Raiders. And one guy's girlfriend is like, if he doesn't do anything, if he wasn't in the movie, all the same shit would happen. Absolutely every single thing that happens in the movie would happen, even if he didn't exist. Well, that's ev- yeah. everybody's I've mind heard, gets just I've heard blown. that argument, and it's another reason why I hate the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> but it's but it's but it's also I always I used to have this problem with it. The last twenty minutes, he really truly doesn't have any narrative action from the time they they get on the boat with Katanga. Uh, but it's but it's a bad understanding of how character and how narrative works. Yeah. You know, to I don't be think it a matters. prisoner. 
definitely doesn't matter. But, but that also, did use to Karen Allen me. wouldn't be there at all if if it wasn't for Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, the the whole good point. The whole time scale. Of he doesn't. When, what do you mean? He finds the staff of Ron. And yeah, exactly. Yes. Good point. Good point. Good point, gentlemen. Nazis didn't even have it, the other side of it. They're digging in the wrong place. They'll but be digging out they, there for a thousand years before they find that place. But they would have got there. They would have got it. They would have killed Marion and they would have built this thing. And, you know, but I agree. Look, I love that. It's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> in a, you know, that's such a great year for movies. It is. I would say in defense of Molaram, he's definitely not as well defined as the villains from Raiders, obviously, or Last Crusade even. It's, pre- it's presence. I mean, Amrish Puri playing yeah, that yeah, role. Yeah. It's just got such an amazing evil presence in that film that to me, I, I get why they didn't want to try to establish him and just have him be the villain, period. You know, I like don't I don't mind it if they did something with him, but they do nothing with him. You know what I mean? It's you don't have to establish him before then. It's just you. This can be the reveal to him. But he has he has no personality. Tell me one character trait he has other than like he's a kind of big guy. Loves ripping out hearts. <laughs> does he? Does he? Or is <laughs> does, wait? Does he? Or is he he's doing like it out of a duty? As it's on fire in his doing hand. it he as a duty that. to his god. I see a lot of people at their job. <laughs> I've never seen anyone appreciate their job as much as holding that heart while it's on. That fire. guy's that guy's like, like a idea. very um very famous villain in Indian cinema. Like one of the big, big villains in all of Indian cinema. I I guess, you know, in in defense of Temple of Doom, I think out of the three, it is, even though it's the darkest and the most violent, I think it's also the most directly a kid's movie. Hmm. Um, Yeah. And so I think people who are a few years older than me and were able to see this in theaters, you know, present company excluded, have a real nostalgia and love for the movie and i think the i have a huge nostalgia for it obviously it's so important to me but go on and i and i think you know the physicality and presence of molaram the the physicality and and presence of harrison ford there's you know a magic to the movie star quality that harrison ford brings to indiana jones that you know really drags this movie along and makes it enjoyable and so i think you know if, if you're eight or nine years old and seeing this on the screen, I think it's going to stay in your heart forever. Um, and that's not true for, you know, every moviegoer who, who was around to see it. But I, but I think, you know, there's, there is a certain nostalgic magic. That yeah. But a, but a child's, a child's imagination is a virtually undefended sure. citadel like it is not sure. hard to get in there and i have amazing memories of flight of the navigator that doesn't mean when i watch it when i get older i gotta be like this is a fucking good movie yeah but i think that that's, that's something that that temple of doom has over crystal skull because i don't think if yeah. you're eight and seeing crystal skull for the first time i don't think that's going to stick in your psyche the that's way a really good Jones point can. easier to defend because of that nostalgia and like that living vicariously through the short round character, you know, yeah. who gets to have his own heroic moment where he breaks free and goes and, and saves Indy's, Indy from the evil spell. I mean, because well, I'm the same age as Shia LaBeouf and I'm not living vicariously through him. <laughs> in the, right. in but when you guys saw, when you saw movies when you were a kid and there was a kid in it, 
Didn't the kid just aggravate you? Didn't you yes. identify with the adult? Like when you, you watch Super uh, Friends, you'd be like, I don't give a shit about Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Doll. I want to see Batman. <laughs> I always, I always love that when Canon made their fucking terrible Superman movie, they were really insistent. We need to put somebody in this movie for kids to be into, so that fucking John Cryer John character Cryer. is in it, right? And they're like insistent. We got to have somebody for the kids, and it's like, you know, who's in this movie for the kids? fucking superman is in this yeah. movie for the kids yeah. <laughs> how about superman will be interesting to the fucking children i think, I think... Would... no go ahead sorry no i was gonna say my defense of temple of doom is that the rope bridge scene is legit awesome oh, for when sure, he yeah. cuts yeah. it and the opening is so fucking good i remember i watched raiders i watched Raiders and Temple of Doom one day and then Last Crusade and Crystal Skull the next day. And when the stuff at Club Obi-Wan, which I didn't realize it was called until now, was happening, I was like, I because I watched Raiders, then took like a 10 minute break, then put it on. And I was like, I feel so fucking good. Like, I haven't felt this good watching movies maybe since I was five years old. Like this stuff just back to back makes me feel so fucking amazing, makes me feel so fucking nice. And I was also like, you know, it connected me to also stuff I know more now, not just Busby Berkeley, but you watch that opening scene and it looks like Ken Russell's The Boyfriend. It's very mm -hmm. reminds you of The yes, Boyfriend. Yes, a great movie. And, and also um, After the Thin Man, which has a scene in a Chinese yes. restaurant yes. where they do a floor number and then a shoot breaks out. And I found an interview with George Lucas talking about how he was yeah. thinking about The Thin Man with Temple of Doom, right? And I was just watching that. I love the Cantonese version of Anything Goes. I, I love the choreography. I just fuck it. I love how they go in Inside the dragon's mouth and then they're yes. in a different magic space where time is going backwards they go down in the splits then back up against it and just like the idea of this is a floor show happening there just i i loved all of that stuff so much and the shootout is great the jumping in on them introducing them in the in the white dinner jacket mm -hmm. as like a total subversion of expectation the the setup where he has that you know i go first to the great mystery with this friend there you know like all of that stuff the backstory the narache like you don't know any of it and it's like this is perfect i love this they're not repeating raiders in any way they're deliberately like avoiding the vibe and tone of raiders so aggressively but it's so good in its own terms and it's so exciting and fun and funny and the balloons are coming down and the spilling of the ice and trying to get the diamond and trying to get the antidote at the same time like all of that stuff i just i just love it Great so much. I would say best opening and ending of an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, and and you know, John Cribbs and I, huge James Bond fans. There was always the rumors at, around at the time that Spielberg would direct a James Bond movie. This is always to me what a Bond opening sequence directed by Steven Spielberg would look like, and it's obviously amazing. <laughs> and his friend who gets killed also gets killed in View to a Kill. He's Bond's right. friend in View to a Kill. <laughs> He's definitely, you know, we'll get to Last Crusade and the Bond connections there, not just Connery, mm -hmm. but Jenny Flex. We got Allison Duty, the great Jenny Flex. Who but it's funny with Bonds and movies. Yeah. You know, Spielberg has a story about when um, Star Wars was going to come out. 
they decided to go to Hawaii, he and George Lucas, just to get away from everything because they were really worried. They didn't know what was going to happen, right? And they go to Hawaii on a vacation. It's become their tradition. Anytime a movie opens, they go away on vacation together, supposedly. This is what he says. I don't fucking know. I wasn't there. But uh, but so they're in Hawaii and the grosses start to come in for Star Wars. People like hunt them down to tell them what's happening, right? And so Spielberg goes to George Lucas, like, what do you want to do next? And he was like, I want to do a Bond movie. Let me do a Bond movie next. And George Lucas was like, I have a better idea for a movie than a Bond movie. It's Indiana Jones. And so that's like he would Spielberg was like, had to be talked out of doing Bond with like all of their cultural capital that they had in that moment between Jaws and. Why do yeah. a Bond movie, Stephen? When you could do one set in a haunted castle. But so, but, but this is what's fucking crazy. Just to finish the story, I'll give it to you. These guys at the height of their power, they couldn't get anyone to finance Indiana Jones. It took them three years to get the money to do it. And it's like, think about how like, Bill, you and I were in the film business mm. and it's always like raising money so fucking hard. And it's like, just remember coming off of Jaws and Star Wars, they couldn't get anybody to finance Indiana Jones. It took them three years before you beat yourself up too much. Anyway. I do think about that. I do think about that. <laughs> John Arminio, I didn't no, mean to interrupt. No, I just want to say that I just love the idea of spending your cultural capital of from Raiders on a Cantonese Bugsby Berkeley musical number like <laughs> the balls on that move it, it's so great and it's you know the best thing because of the movie so I, I that's another reason why my affection for any in it for uh Temple of Doom is yeah not boundless but <laughs> <laughs> oh it's I... definitely deserving of that of that love even though yeah. it maybe wasn't Raiders oh my god what is Raiders <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> it's, it's it's but it's pretty cool and I love that Spielberg to me that's um Spielberg trying to make something different you know uh, Lucas supposedly I don't know how true this is but wanted the Bogart way and Spielberg wanted more the I mean you know Spielberg said no let's go let's go the Bogart route we'll go with with Harrison Ford whereas yeah. Lucas had wanted a James Bond more suave type and that was a nod to George's vision having him yeah. in the tux at the top and and then you feel like they're just doing something different they're like hey that worked let's try something else and you know they're trying to bring I mean they've got all this kind of crazy thuggy stuff from old movies. And That's from uh Gloria Katz and Willard Huck. Uh, uh, we're both like typical boomer hippie India files. Like they were people that were known as like being like loving Indian culture and like a very like, lunk-headed white liberal kind of way and that's why they got hired to do it they in their opinion because they were known as like this movie is going to be set in india let's have these people who are like these dumb boomer hippies who are just like ah the maharaja you know kind of people but it, it's like it. the perspective from india culture if you've seen johnny quest and octopussy <laughs> like uh, you don't have to sell me on it that they're <laughs> that they're and they're and the all of the gross food was like was uh her idea she like loved this idea of like the snake surprise and bug eating and stuff and it's like mm. that's what they brought you in to do this was their big fucking plan i, I have to read that that sounds i love steven spielberg but he loves that gross out crazy like yeah. that seems to be the thread in all these movies he's like okay now's the scene when i do the thing 
Um, yeah, now it's the rats. You, now it's the bugs. Now it's the snakes. Ants, now, yeah, and we got ants. And then also, you know, he 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 likes a certain kind of comedy. And you see some of that in Last Crusade. I'm not Last Crusade. I meant to say Kingdom of the Crystal, Crystal Skull. But no, I like I admire that it tries to do its own thing and that it has such mm-hmm. a unique structure, which is like no other. It, you could see that the one right after they went back to kind of trying to give it that similar kind of structure. So. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the the comedy, and I agree with you that Last Crusade is is a very self-conscious return to being what Raiders is. But the problem with Temple of Doom is that it is a comedy. That is the problem with this movie. And what's weird about it is there's a schism between George Lucas really wanted it to be dark. And if you ask George Lucas why Temple of Doom didn't work and got bad reviews. It's because it's too dark and it's not a kid's film and it's not appropriate for children and it's just too dark, which is ludicrous. And if Steven Spielberg was like, this script is so dark, we had to put the humor in it and had to make it funny. They don't, their analysis is that the darkness is that what people didn't like. But what's not good about that movie is that the comedy is terrible and he's no good at doing comedy directly. You said you like 1941. I can respect that. But like Hook, 1941, Temple of Doom, anytime he tries to make a funny movie, it's fucking horrible. I'm with John. I don't think Hook exists. So. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that about Hook, but that's my Hook perspective. It just helps me stay sane. That didn't happen. So, Rufio never existed. <laughs> but it's just—it is funny. It's they like don't the invisible food they eat in Hook. <laughs> they don't really have to seem to have a good understanding of why it failed. And I guess if we're talking these movies, we should mention for listeners who may for some reason be wanting a primer on Indiana Jones without having seen any of them. Uh, this this movie, along with Gremlins, which was produced by Spielberg, led to the creation of the PG-13 rating. There was a lot of uh, uh, pushback and negative response from parents about hearts getting pulled out of people's bodies and disgusting gremlins uh, attacking people with chainsaws and department stores. And so he called up Jack Valenti at the MPAA and was like, I'm getting killed over this stuff. We should, there should be a rating. He suggested PG 14 and apparently like almost instantaneously, like a PG 13 rating was, was created. The first new rating in, in decades was added to it. And that was as a response to, uh, to temple of doom and gremlins pretty directly first movie released PG 13, John, you must know this one. Uh, Red Dawn. Exactly. There you go. Marines. Yeah. Is that right? I did not know that. When we say it's a failure, we don't mean, not that anybody cares, you know, but because they must know it's a hit, but financially it was a huge success. Yeah, it did about the same as as Raiders. But yeah, I think when you've had as many successes as them, you don't measure it in terms of did we make a mint worth of money on it? I think that that's like the de rigueur for them. So they're probably trying to figure out why things were uh, were disliked. And John, John Cribbs, why is the character named Short Round? What is he named after? Uh, is it the Sam Fuller movie? Steel Helmet? Oh, that's what everyone says. But no, because Indiana Jones was named after George Lucas's dog, they gave the character uh, Short Round the name of uh, Hook and Katz's dog, which was Short Round. The dog was named after Steel Helmet, but they gave it that dog. And then Willie Scott 
is named after Steven Spielberg's dog, Willie. <laughs> so all three of the characters are named after their dogs, which I think is is a symbol of the kind of, guys, come on, you're not doing what's best for the movie with some of these decisions kind of kind of rot setting in, that kind of cleverness. Uh, uh, you know, um, <laughs> it just feels like you guys are riding too high. Like, let's let's come up with ideas because they're good ideas, not because... Next to Indiana Jones' villain, Mr. Biscuits. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm the villain Mittens. Shall we move on to Last Crusade? I've done enough bad-mouthing of, of Temple of Doom, right? The movie that I love above all others, which caused yeah. me to become a filmmaker. I want to hear Bill Tech get started on Last Crusade. Uh, well, I saw Last Crusade in 1989. Is that the correct year? I believe it is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I saw it opening night because I'm an, an Indiana Jones fanatic. And, you know, I don't want to put down a movie that so many people love, including my friend John Arminio. I know he has great fondness for it. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think all of you do, you know, and I don't I always feel like a dork or a mean guy saying things about movies that people love. But it left yeah. me, it left me cold because I didn't find all those other things that I liked in Raiders. And I didn't find the inventiveness that I found in Temple of Doom. And um, I, I'm i a big fan. I like, I love the whole, I, I can only review or give you my quick thoughts on Last Crusade referring to Raiders. So I loved Marcus. I thought he was like an older indie. And here there was some silly need to make him into like a uh, comic relief. And that just felt very eighties. I hate the way screenplays were written in the eighties. I hated going to the movies in the eighties. 89 was one of my least favorite years. 81 is my all time favorite year. So, and all that 89 stuff, whether it was Batman or Ghostbusters two or all that, I hate all that crap. And I love Ghostbusters one, but you know, but I, I'm, I'm digressing. Anyway, I didn't like movies in 1989 period. Except for Star Trek five. Well, that's a masterpiece. Which, what are you talking which, about? Which, which definitely doesn't have any questionable comedy in it. No, not at all. <laughs> well, you know what? But I think, I think questionable comedy is part of the, of Star Trek. If you watch those seventy nine episodes, you're going to see some flat jokes. But, but, hey, you know sure. where you know we are all on your side no, about that, Star Trek that Five. Show, that that was another one that made me think this is all a simulation. My brain is in a jar, and I'm imagining everything because <laughs> I dreamt that I would get to defend that movie, and then I got to defend it with a bunch of really smart people that talked about a bunch of heady shit. And they're all my favorite people, so I'm I'm dreaming this. Life must be a dream. Maybe we did can... you did you did you <laughs> not row, like Connery? Did you not like Connery in it? Well, I like Connery in everything. Like you're he's a big Sean, fan, like me and Armin. He's Sean. Yeah, he's Sean Connery. I love him in everything. And I and I've just come around this year to admitting like Sean Connery's a stud. I had always been a more guy, as you know, John. Yeah. But this year I came around and getting a little gray in the beard, and I'm like, no, Sean Connery might have been better. Oh my <laughs> but, god! Uh, I was watching yeah. some behind the scenes footage of him, and I was like, this mother fucker is irresistible like he's like he's like he just his presence he's making harrison ford look like a piece of wet trash in the behind the scenes stuff and you're like imagine being that dude who's like just blowing harrison ford away with your charisma and you're like i love him i mean i love him so much but i've been watching him for years and i've been watching rob i'd seen robert and marion remember it's 89 i'm older yeah i've seen all these movies like i was up on my sean connor i knew who he was and so if Sean Connery is going to be um, Indy's dad, you know, we all bring a lot of weird proprietary. This is how I would do it, but I do too. So I didn't care for the outfit. I thought the outfit looked silly. But back to the supporting characters. 
um, the way they introduced the characters, um, Sala and Marcus, and the way the fun they had with them just rubbed me the wrong way. It didn't feel genuine. It didn't feel like it was attached to the first film. And it felt like like in like they do in Star Trek. Oh, we got to get this one close-up shot of this character. Well, I get why they have to do it there. And it's still kind of, eh, but you don't have to do it here. Just let them walk into a room and have a conversation. Let it be a regular movie, the way Raiders is just a regular movie. And it's a it's one of the great movies because it's a regular movie. So I felt it had that weird touchstone pictures, Hollywood pictures, fakiness to it that just rubbed me the wrong way. So whether it was the 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 fight on the boat going towards the propeller everything just fell flat for me and i think there's a big difference between meeting you know it, we in raiders you know when those nazis go off a cliff yeah you know for years i wondered how they did that stunt and it turned out to be very very early cgi that was just an effect a lucas effect but it's so seamlessly married into the movie you don't even think about it um and then uh here he meets hitler i'm like from faceless nazis to hitler what he why is he on a blimp like what did he scare some birds into a with an umbrella i don't understand the movie so you, that's se- my... you seem to have forgotten your charlemagne <laughs> oh yeah all that stuff just I don't that is I one of the weirdest parts of the movie that's the one thing i don't understand is that that's not a charlemagne quote like they it's like made up <laughs> it, it, that's it, tom stoppard like... uh fingerprints all the way i have to say I want, to, I want to meet your concerns head on here, Bill. The first thing I want to clear up here, would you agree with me that when we meet Marcus and when Marcus is with Indy in Venice, uh, pretty much up to when he goes off on it, when he sends him away with the diary and he's off on his own, would you say up to that point, he's like the Marcus from Raiders of the Lost Ark, like he's pretty yes. serious, straightforward character? Okay. Yes, I would. And then he gets hit on the head, right? Ah, in the oh, library. Uh, Maybe uh, there's a little jostled, you know, not brain going on there. That could explain why he's kind of out of it and uncharacteristic for the rest of the movie. It could. It's, it's, right. It could, could, but it's too the close head to is that. not a good no, thing. I've had, I have several concussions, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's too close to that whole, like, you know, I lost my marbles hook business, you know, <laughs> like, just what? Just even, what are you doing? I don't get it. <laughs> John Cribbs hook. <laughs> um, John Cribbs, my question for you. So in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, he uh, grabs onto a submarine, which is getting ready to submerge. The camera cuts away, cut to several thousand, maybe 400 miles cuts away. As he's looking around like, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? Right. Shows this sur- <laughs> shows the submarine docking. He's, we've, he's wet. He's getting on his clothes. We don't have an explanation. At the beginning of Last Crusade, boat is going down underwater. Uh, only a single uh, life preserver comes overboard in the middle of the open ocean. What's your, uh, what's your explanation for the Indiana Jones characters? Indy's aquatic. Easy. <laughs> he's a bit of a gill man. He's, a, he's yeah, the yeah. creature from the, from the Indy Lagoon. Oh, I, I, I would be remiss. I don't want to interrupt. But if I, you ask me my take on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, yeah, the opening yes, yes. is the opening is my favorite opening of any of the movies. I think it might be the best moment in any of the movies. I think it's unparalleled. I think it's. I hate when people say what other human beings want. It's clearly the movie Spielberg was interested in making. 
but it's yeah. clearly the movie Spielberg was interested in making um, because it's got it all. It's got those John Ford vistas in that kid's face when he's playing the whole trumpet. And it's just <laughs> yeah, like yeah, this yeah. alive, amazing thing. And I didn't, I was like, this is going to be incredible. And then I, I was like watching an 80s. Just like the shot of their mailbox that says Jones's, it like wow. the mailbox is awesome. You're like, this the is a perfect detail. Every single I thing. All of it. It. I yeah, love the, even the origin story. Oh, this is how I got that. Usually, I know I'm not supposed to like that stuff, but I thought it was so cool. Well, that opening yeah. is where sequels get their terrible ideas from. Of we'll show him as a kid. We'll show him where he got the whip. You know, all of this stuff you don't want to actually answer. You know, like the famous, you know, Pat Oswalt bit. Like, I don't want to know where the stuff, you know, all of those bad ideas for how do we handle the sequels, you know, and like prequels and stuff. It comes from that opening, right? Because that opening's fucking awesome. Everybody you thinks- You see Bob Fett as a little kid. Yeah, this is exactly <laughs> like you get, it's like, we'll solve our narrative problems the way Last Crusade did because that stuff is so great and i agree with you like i watch it and i'm like this is every single thing note for note i hate when other movies do but i love it here i absolutely love it i'm with you guys i love it i love um river phoenix i think even oh, the very God. beginning for sure where it's kind of doing like a weird thing where it's kind of making you think the guy in the hat is indie and the kid is yes. somebody else but from that moment where that first close you close we get of him where he's walking past the quarter and then stops and comes back even in silhouette that is like an indiana jones gesture like a movement he's just got it down he's his impression like is so good. good he is when he tells him shush and you're like that's harrison ford shush like that's crazy that he just that shush that kid and you're like oh it's exactly like harrison ford yeah. Yeah. and it doesn't come off as an impression it comes off he's playing a young indiana jones it, it's just sure yeah that's great. And, and and it breaks makes River's death so much more heartbreaking. Also, I'm sorry, I interrupted my man, John. I apologize. I just wanted to say that even, you know, knowing what a big fanatic of Ford Spielberg is, that he really gets he hasn't done a Western, and here he really gets to play in that space, and that's pretty fun. The you storytelling know, of that opening, just you know, Indy getting tackled on top of the train. The, the movement hitting the the lantern falls down reveals uh you know the rhino underneath it it's perfect i that sequence is fantastic <laughs> also the good even the dumb jokes that should be like that's a dumb joke like it's just a snake relax you know like at the beginning you know where he's not afraid of snakes that's the kind of like cornball joke that should be terrible but river phoenix plays it so well and he plays it like harrison ford when he's unafraid of the rats later on or the bugs you know he plays it like harrison ford being unafraid of stuff it's really just spectacular that opening sequence it also it's weird i realized this time this is a weird thing like these movies like i saw them with my dad they, these movies remind me of my dad in that way, but there's something about Indiana Jones himself that reminds me of my dad, seeing him as a Boy Scout and horseback riding. My dad was really serious horseback rider. We come from like a horseback riding family. My grandfather was a big, uh, big, big polo player. And my, my great grandfather had a horse farm. And my dad spent a lot of time in his youth out in places like Wyoming riding horses. And just my dad is also unflinchingly confident 
unflinchingly confident, knowledgeable, and a goofball. You know what I mean? And there's something about all of that, putting it all together in that intro, the Boy Scout outfit, all of that. It's just like, this This gives me the good feelings my dad gives me and that I remember from my childhood. But just as I've gotten older, like my dad is one of like my real heroes in life. And it felt like a weird association to be like, just have these like emotional, nostalgic associations with it. Do you, this, I, especially with Last Crusade, I hear a lot of people think about their own family with it. Do you have, do either, do you, either of you three guys have any like associations like with your own with your like it's very these movies feel like dad and son movies together do you guys have those associations with it in any way either as dads or sons um i do have a just a distinct memory of this movie when i was a kid i was probably like five or six and i was just extremely ill and i could barely move and so my dad carried me to the couch and put on this movie so just like because he, he knew that it would probably it was the only thing that would make me feel better, um, so you know that's certainly a, a father son association I have with it. That's interesting. That's it was it was that's his sweet. papaya enzyme treatment for you. That's yeah. a very <laughs> deep cut reference to something that happened during Temple of Doom. Um, Harrison Ford herniated a disc and they had to shut down production while he went to Los Angeles to have something called papaya enzyme surgery, which is very controversial to this day. And it makes me feel like he wasn't actually hurt. What the fuck is this? They like inject your spine with papaya enzymes and that cured him and he brought it back. I don't know about this anyway. But I, I, for, for me, what continues to draw me to last crusade is the father son dynamic, between the Joneses. And I love that that incredibly dynamic opening sequence ends with Indy running to his father with the cross of Coronado, this lost artifact, and his father doesn't even look at him. He puts his finger up and makes him count in Greek to calm down because it's interfering with his Grail Diary notation. And so... It just sets the tone of the relationship between, you know, Indiana Jones, one of the most confident and capable characters in cinema history, desperate to impress his father and yeah. unable to, no matter what he can accomplish. And yeah. so as an adult, he's found the Ark of the Covenant. And his yeah. father still seems completely unimpressed. by. Him. Yeah. And so and, you know, that dynamic, you know, continues throughout the movie. And we see, you know, in the the rat tunnel sequence um, when Harrison Ford, when Indy hears that his father was giddy as a schoolboy. <laughs> and he, he says, says he wasn't even giddy when he was a schoolboy. Yeah, so he, it's this, for me, it's a joke, but it's also an incredibly tragic insight in, into their relationship that there's this whole other part of his father's life that he couldn't experience it seems like so they both had such passion for archaeology you know it made his father giddy to make new discoveries but they were apart you know they couldn't experience that shared love for archaeology together it was always a source of pain and conflict for them so it's like funny in that moment but i think it also speaks to the deep division between these two men my favorite scene in the movie is them on the zeppelin 
is the dialogue between them you know when he says you know last time we had a quiet drink i had a milkshake you know i mean i fucking love that scene i love them going over the grail clues together and he says what do you want to talk about (laughs) i have no idea (laughs) what are you complaining about (laughs) it's Uh, that great kind of you know the banality of like you know being with a family member where it's like what do you i'm sorry what do you need from me i we know each other what's <laughs> what's the problem here like it's something that you know you want there's there's this barrier that you need to penetrate but like how do you do it because you just there's you're just so familiar with this person in your own way and it's just, you know there's just no new ground to cover yeah henry jones which so needs to be said yeah henry is expecting indy to tell him how he's a bad dad in like a <laughs> sentence and and Indy's like I, I can't i can't handle this <laughs> like of course i can't sit and tell you right now it's great Love um it. one behind the scenes note about that zeppelin scene there's no air conditioning on it uh on that set and so uh sean connery was like i'm very prone to sweating so he filmed that scene while not wearing pants so he would be as cool as possible and harrison ford said if you're going to do that i'm going to do it too so both when they're sitting at that table they're sitting in their underwear just picture that just off screen for future reference (laughs) i want to watch it all over again Bill, I you... feel that Sean Connery did a lot of scenes with no pants on, whatever <laughs> excuse he could come up with. He does, he does in in like making of featurettes seem like a difficult person to work with. Because he's just like, I came with my usual pages of notes, and every shot of him behind the scene is like him waving his finger in Steven Man. Spielberg's face, like rah, 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 like animatedly. It's like, <laughs> oh my goodness. No wonder he didn't get along with Steven Norrington. Um Mr. Tech, you watched some of these with your kid. Do you have that kind of connection as a parent going the other way? Uh, yes and no. And by the way, I appreciate the League of Distinguished Gentlemen reference <laughs> that you just threw out. I don't want that to go on deaf ears. I got it. I saw that thing at the theater, uh, having loved the graphic novel and having had high hopes for it, which were sadly his, not his quite. Last movie, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, what a shame. I mean, this is a nice set design, though. Um, uh, so, um, you know, my son's, um, uh, Vince's mom, her grandfather is right. Like the only grandfather that my kid has known because my dad had passed away by the time he was born. So he kind of beat me to the punch with the Indiana Jones movies. Like he'd go over there on Friday, you know, and I'd go out for date night (laughs) with, with, with Lynn. And, and so he knew them. He goes, <laughs> he's like, I know these movies. I'm like, what? You you watched Rangers of the Lost Ark without me? But they had this old school uh, VCR that was with the tape player built into the thing. And they had all the old school cassettes that were like, you know, their other grandkids. Yeah. So, they, and I have to say, my kid has bananas taste in movies. He's got great taste in movies. He's a cinephile. He's cool as hell. He's a great taste. I can share this with stuff with him. And he knew the indie movies and he had not watched any with me except we watched um, he'd never seen Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And we watched it together. And of course, all that father-son stuff for, for that mm-hmm. movie. We really and he really is a lot like Mutt. He really is annoying me. So <laughs> uh, I don't want to get a yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it really, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, this kid. But, uh, but you know, my dad and I, we watched all the indie movies uh, together as well. 
and we did identify somewhat with it. I thought it was really interesting. You know, Spielberg always makes these movies about families reconnecting, right? And fathers and sons. And I can't recommend enough to you all, all three of you, or to anyone listening, Molly Haskell's great critical biography of Steven Spielberg uh, for the Jewish Lives series. It is unbelievable. You can't believe anybody writes like Molly uh, and is a human. It's that well-written. And when I say critical, it's because, you know, it's not critical of Steven Spielberg as a human being. It's critical. It's a critical it's, analysis. Right. Yes. And also a biography at the same time. I mean, it's very ambitious, incredibly well-written. Anyway, you know, it's been cataloged, right? He has these themes in his films of families being reunited, yeah. families being reunited and go over and over and over. And to work that into the Raiders movies so that by the second movie already, he's got a father figure kind of vibe going. By the third movie, it's a full-blown father-son thing. By the fourth movie, here you you stop, you mourn. He mourns the loss of his dad and the loss of Marcus in the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And then he meets his own son. Spoiler. And then, you know, so I really appreciate a true auteur like Stephen putting his obsessions into the movies and finding yeah. a way to make those interesting to us as well in the audience. Um, and so I enjoyed the movies with my dad, but not more so than say James Bond or the man who would be King or victory or any of the other movies that we shared. They weren't specific to us, yeah. um, but we enjoyed them together. So you saying your son has really amazing taste or made me think of this, somebody who's, you're going to have a point on your favor, somebody on your side. My son also has really, really amazing taste, especially for like a 12 year old, especially with music. He's like a fucking hipster. His favorite bands are LCD Sound System, Animal <laughs> Collective and Queen. Those are Great the three bands. bands he loves the most. Yeah. And I feel like you think you're better than me. No, um, that's like my reaction <laughs> to him. But he loves the movies. <laughs> I showed him the Indiana Jones movies. He loved all of them except Last Crusade. He was like bored and could not get through it. We tried like twice and both times he just we just like turned it off because he could not get into Last Crusade. And that was the only one of the four that he wasn't with. The other ones he loved and like Last Crusade, he just couldn't do. So you got somebody on your side whose who's taste I really he respect. He sounds like a really smart kid. <laughs> and uh, I've been known, to, I've been known to think like a, you know, like a young person at times. <laughs> You're forever young, Bill. Thank you, Jay. Now to the Johns, I am shocked. We're getting ready to move on from Last Crusade soon. No Allison Duty talk, no Jenny Flex talk whatsoever. Um, <laughs> Another I, view to a kill connection with the yeah. Indiana Jones movies. Uh, I I really like Allison Duty in in Last Crusade. Like again, no Karen Allen, but I think this, you know, completely amoral person who functions both as a ally and antagonist i think that that interplay with both jones is interesting it is weird that she had an affair with with both of them um but i guess Con because... connery's idea connery's idea george lucas hated it what a shock we like to share women <laughs> we share them that's fantastic <laughs> on a schedule obviously if she likes the younger jones she'd like the older one better as well it's all about working out the schedule <laughs> Uh, um, but I think she's it's, like James Bond. She's a spy, right? She's got to yeah. sleep with the to get what she needs. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it's totally you know within her parameters to 
be genuinely looking for the grail because she's interested in it and willing to you know work with the nazis to get it and then willing to abandon the nazis when it suits her purposes at the end she's like come with me indy we can get the grail together um i love so- the shot of her with tears in her eyes at the book burning where you see that it is more complicated for her than just yeah. I'm completely on these guys' side that in some way they fundamentally stand against her in some way as a doctor. Damn what you think. You do. Yeah, and and that is a great moment when when Indy confronts her like, oh, she feels bad um, for what the Nazis are doing, but she's still willing to work with them. And, you know, that at the in the end doesn't matter. She's still working with them and, and the moral imperative to stand up to the Nazis um, you know, does matter, especially yeah. when you're looking for the literal holy grail. Yeah. She also has a great, as an actress, mad with a lust for power face. Yes. There's a few times she gets like the the crazy look in her eyes and it's genuinely good. It's genuinely good. What did yeah. John, John Cribs, how come she didn't have a better career? She goes from Taffin to this <laughs> and then she's nothing else. She's an RRR, but she's like, this is, is she like, yeah, she's one of the villains in RRR. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, she's in the David Hasselhoff uh, musketeer mm. motorcycle movie. <laughs> I mean, Strange we all career. we all agree Taffin is great and that View to a Kill is great. We all agree to this. She loves the Bond Shh. actors. What can you say? I don't know, boys. You don't find it reductive that we looked for the Ark of the Covenant in one, a biblical thing. Then we tore people's hearts out. Then we're like, no, no, fuck that, fuck that, let's go back. Oh my God. Now it's the Holy Grail. Yeah. That's not, that's not somewhat like the same idea. It's definitely self-consciously trying to repeat the things that worked about one in a way that yeah. Temple of Doom was self-consciously trying to not repeat anything that worked about Raiders. I think that that's definitely true, that it's trying to do the sequel a thing of more of the same but different and interesting in its own way. And I think it gets there. I, I will say this might be my most controversial opinion, watching all four of them again, I think it's the best of the four. I think it's better than Raiders. I liked it more than Raiders. Yeah. Out of town. Yeah. It's it's my favorite. Yeah. I like, um, I I don't want to say it's better than Raiders, but it is my favorite. Yeah, not better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll watch it again. I'm going to watch it again. uh, I'm going to watch it tonight or tomorrow. Promise. You know, I I think the the interplay between the two Joneses as, as father and son, the connection they find, you know, I that affects me almost as much as anything in this entire series. Um, like one of the, my, my most thought about moments in cinema is, is like the penitent man will pass the penitent man will yeah. pass and, and them sort of like having this kind of psychic connection as Indiana Jones is going through the trials. The to, to... alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> with an eye. Um, and I, and you know one of the most indelible images in movie history is is the Grail Knight, him waving goodbye, as you know the 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 castle is collapsing around him. He he like becomes a religious icon in his final moments. I find that incredibly beautiful. Uh, and don't you know, read the novelization. He hangs yeah. around for like an extra five yeah, minutes. Okay. <laughs> he's like talking with everybody. <laughs> so yeah, there's just so many things that that hit me in my core. Uh, in, in Last Crusade that I I just 
it really just grabs me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I I was really it really worked for me this time. It just really, really worked. And obviously Raiders really, really worked and segments of Temple of Doom really, really worked. But this time I really felt like, you know, I'll probably wake up in a couple of days and be like, what am I talking about? Raiders is obviously where it at. But it, it did feel like, I think I felt like this is the best of the four. I really did feel that way after watching yeah. them this time. And it had, and there's lots of, you know, there were just little details I didn't notice before, maybe didn't remember things that I liked, like when they go to um, uh, to Sean Connery's house, to older Jones's house, and it's ransacked. On the wall, there's a drawing of the lion's head leap done in like a um, tapestry style on there. You can see like uh, uh, crusaders trying to walk across an invisible pit right, the and some falling. The yeah. Is just yeah. Walking across it, yeah. And I also love the joke where they're um, going to get on the dirigible and it cuts to like the airport for it. And there's two guys self-consciously holding newspapers in front of their faces, right? Holding them up as you know, they're being hunted for. And then Harrison Ford and Sean Connery come walking in between those guys. It's like a joke out of top yeah. secret. It's fucking <laughs> phenomenal. It's such a good, goofy joke. There's just and like... No, the humor definitely uh, works so much better than yes. in Temple. Oh, for I sure, mean, yeah. Just the, uh, son, I'm sorry. They got us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, th that they got us line, and um, in the, ta the tank chase sequence, when everybody thinks Indy's dead, and he comes back, and Sean Connery embraces his son and says, I thought I lost you, boy. Like, th an actor who can do those two things, that's why you get Sean Connery in this movie i don't think any moment in the series hits me as hard as i thought i lost you boy like it's oh well let's also, cry at an indiana joe's movie you also need connery because he's a bookish guy who doesn't know how to fight at all right mm -hmm. but he's still got to have weight and authority to intimidate indiana jones and like who can pull off like thoughtful intellectual also guy who uh you can sort of believe getting in fights but having this gravity to push around indiana jones it's like yeah. a very very hard role to cast like you, you can couldn't... imagine being terrified of sean connery as your dad yeah exactly even as a grown-up even after mm -hmm. you found the ark of the covenant and you know punched a guy into the flying wings you know fucking propellers <laughs> like even after you've squished thuggies on a rock-crushing machine and freed slaves, still being intimidated by Sean Connery and sort of blown away by him is completely plausible. I think it's I think it's great, great casting. Although one thing I did notice that bothered me, this is the kind of continuity stuff. These movies do, like you were saying, they'll play very fast and loose with continuity in a cool way, like an old school cinema way where it's like they'll be driving through the jungle, then the next shot and they're in the desert, then they're back in the <laughs> jungle and you don't really notice that kind of thing. When they go to knock the X marks the spot on the floor of the library, the X when they look down is like a big red X on a gray background. Then when they start breaking into it, it's just a green floor with no X on it. Like it's not at all the same thing whatsoever. Because you can't it. see it from that vantage. You can only see it from that vantage point. That's why it goes up the stairs all the way to see the X. The and the, the it turns it turns green with no writing whatsoever on. You can't see the X on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's, I it's concede like, my point. I concede my point. John is right. It's like the it's going, lines. It's going through the stained glass cathedral window, illuminating the X. You're right, John. I take it all back. Um, Bill, have we convinced you at all? Did Bill convince John's either of you to be harder on this film? Mm, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I understand the criticisms. To me, Hitler, to me, meeting Hitler is not a big deal. I mean, I, I feel like. Especially, I want to take that quote out of context and post it all over social media. <laughs> I think it would be great to meet Hitler. Hitler if, if God directly interfered in World War II in Raiders of the Lost Ark, that I think we can meet Hitler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, also at the time, like the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles is on TV, and in that one, he would meet a famous person every fucking episode. You know, like, oh, that's whoever true. was famous in like during the World War One era. Indiana Jones hung out with like Sigmund Freud or whatever. Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Exactly. Now we 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 haven't spoken about that at all. I don't want to derail <laughs> this. But has anyone here seen all those shows? I watched oh, yeah. the time. I haven't yeah. revisited it at all. Yeah, I think I, if you were a kid who loved Indiana Jones, you watched all of them. There was an episode. Well, I was a kid where, that loved. No, I'm I mean sorry. when they were out. You were older by the time they were out. You were. I was, but I had a cousin who was very passionate about it. He'd he'd urge me to watch, and he taped them on. He lent it to me, and I'm pretty sure we discovered the cure for insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> I remember most of them being, you know, not great. But I remember one specific episode was like a Great Escape kind of uh, thing where they were like getting out of like a prisoner of war camp, and I remember that episode being really well done and directed. So, you know, I'm sure there were some good episodes and bad. Yeah, I didn't. I was not crazy about it, but I would have done anything Indiana Jones related. I played the. I bought the fucking NES game, the worst video game ever made, the Indiana Terrible. Jones and Temple of the Doom. Terrible. Genuinely what, the worst. What about Pitfall? Do you guys play that? Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. loved all the knockoffs. You know what ended my video game playing career? Right. When I stopped playing video games in high school and because uh, I'd been like a big video game kid, like all 80s kids, uh, a friend of mine got a PlayStation and I borrowed the entire PlayStation with them and played Tomb Raider all the way through. And I was like, this is all I ever wanted. This is an Indiana Jones game. This is all I ever wanted out of video games. Just you go shoot like demon creatures and punch soldiers and hunt treasure. And that's it. I'm done. I don't need any video games ever again. They did the perfect knockoff of it. But I think, you know, just the reverse. I think they've they've awakened in me a desire to see it again and reevaluate it. So I will be doing that. <laughs> oh, I'm, serious. I'm serious. That's very sweet. Thank you. I, I, I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure I will. I bet you I see it with brand new eyes. By the way, in 1989... I was not the person I am now. <laughs> so I have you not watched it since '89? Oh, I hated it with the power of a thousand wow. suns. Really? <laughs> you know, you're talking about years of fandom. I think I. By the way, one thing as a as a person who's lived in Florida that I have on you guys. Have you guys been to um, MGM? What well, used to be MGM Disney Studios and seen the Indiana Jones stunt show? I did. Yes. It's so, fucking amazing, isn't wow. it? <laughs> I didn't see it as a kid. I saw it a couple of years ago. It's awesome. Oh, they're still doing it? That's fantastic. Oh, yeah, oh, man. It's great. Still it. It's so amazing. Yeah, Anybody else it. seen it? I have not. I got to go. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. So in let's, your life. Let's, let's get into Crystal Skull then. Let's switch over to Crystal Skull. Get into Crystal Skull and take the lead, Bill Tech. Saw it at the movies. Loved it. 
totally think it goes in that weird category of, uh, you know, we, we touched on it during the Star Trek five episodes. It's a much better movie than Star Trek five. Um, although Star Trek five has much more interesting ideas. Generally, it does have beautiful ideas and things on friendship, but it has some bonehead parts. This movie I think is overall pretty good. And, um, and I think it goes with John Carter and uh, Lone Ranger talk about a second movie on the show that they pull somebody's heart out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and um, features a cannibal. Um, uh, that's, a, that's an army hammer joke. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I think it's it's a terrific summer movie. I loved it. I love that Spielberg continued his kind of uh, thing about family. Um, I just think it's fantastic. I think it's a wonderful Indiana Jones adventure. I don't understand why people didn't like it and the reason people didn't like it they seem to be fixated on like how dare you have aliens um and i'm like i guess that speaks to like puritanical kind of religious things where not puritanical is the wrong word but deep-seated um people are okay with religion but disbelieving of aliens i don't even understand it i'm like it's just a fantastical thing that this movie has to do with the 50s so it's got the red scare and the wild one and teen shit and aliens. And like, I loved it. Uh, to be fair, they explain in the movie, they're not aliens. They're interdimensional travelers. Okay. <laughs> oh, they're from the space between, not from outer space. Um, yeah. And then they don't explain that. They don't go there. Just <laughs> interdimensional. You know, they should have that. Well, next well, well, what do they well, mean, dad? Well, they mean. Spielberg's clearly really steeped in like alien mumbo jumbo shit. I don't know if that comes from him or George Lucas. I don't know enough about them, but they love that. Like they've really read the like ancient aliens, close encounters book. Like they really cherry to the gods. They know that stuff inside and out. And one of the theories about aliens is that they're not spacemen who are little travelers uh, coming from outer space, but that they are, um, the, that their communication somehow being transmitted into your brain directly. So when you see an alien in the sky, the reason they're difficult to photograph and other people don't see them and you lose track of time is that there's somehow some interdimensional communication manifesting. Remember, we were all going to get revealed like last <laughs> year that there were aliens. We we're going to reveal it. It was going to be great. Yeah, the the disclosure. I know. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> John well, I mean, Arm- they- yeah. They they did reveal like the Navy released those <laughs> videos like we don't know what this is it's that's true we don't know like we don't there's no technology that the Russians or the Chinese have that we know of that can do this we certainly can do this um, so it's kind of like a national security risk to have these you know Mach ten crafts just zipping around <laughs> the, the Earth and then disappearing um, that, that like, is true um, any anyway. Um, <laughs> So, you know, you guys have heard my opinions of Indiana Jones and how much, like, it, it pains me to criticize even Temple of Doom. I'm wearing my Mastodon Crystal Skull t-shirt. <laughs> I, I have a book called Skulls, Portraits of the Dead. So this movie should be, like, <laughs> like in my wheelhouse, right? And I, I'm, I'm down with indiana jones moving forward in time and reflecting back on cinema of the 50s and getting into sci-fi stuff and the wild one and teen shit what really does bother me though 
is the ancient aliens aspect of the sci-fi the chair to the gods crap um it, it really rankles me the idea that like oh these primitive indians couldn't have built pyramids by themselves um they had to get help from another planet to know how to build a building uh like that to me that's like bullshit get it out of here yeah, but with this movie, it's specifically supposed to be a city and made entirely out of gold with yeah. aqueduct and stuff. Like, I think they go out of their way to say, no, it's the shit that nobody's ever seen. I think they're at least aware of that criticism, you know, and they do. They, they talks out of both sides of its mouth where it's yeah. like you're considered a grave robber, but they make a joke of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it has an awareness of like yeah, there what is we're a... doing is kind of fucked up. Let us just say yeah. we really don't mean to be fucked up, but we're going through with this yeah. nonetheless. Like but it has a like you know because there is at one point Indiana Jones says oh the archaeologist, but then there's like these temple drawings of the aliens teaching people irrigation and architecture. Yeah. So you know which one is it? But I think it's also coupled with the fact that the depictions of Indians in this movie is pretty, pretty bad. accurate, pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the Peruvians practicing capoeira. Yeah. Uh, a Brazilian martial art. And you know, they're all like these painted grunting nonverbal, you know, Indians. Who but have, but I'll have, tell have you what I camping out in this pyramid. But, for but I'll tell you what I like about them is they immediately remind me in the context of the other Indiana Jones movies of the guardian of the of the uh, Holy Grail of the guy who's in the secret society trying to prevent people mm -hmm. from getting the Holy Grail. They remind me of the other holy protectors from the other Indiana Jones movies that prove to be good people. That's immediately what they bring to my mind in it that's the most generous light there's still nonverbal savages hiding in the woods yeah, but yeah. but they do i think in the context of the indiana jones i look at them and i immediately see uh them connect them to the to the to the last crusader who's there with the holy grail or certainly with the uh the guy in the fez that they meet for the boat fights who are trying to mm -hmm. prevent him from getting the holy grail i do connect them to them and it is played like a slaughter and a tragedy when the when the nazis yeah. shoot them all down it's not played like triumph over these people but know? i think if they instead of having this you know cadre of inter interchangeable warriors if they had it one, could be done better for certain. <laughs> yeah, they had like one lone guardian. Like even yeah. if it is just a re a redux of yeah. um, the Grail Knight, if the Russians kill, if the Russians shot the Grail Knight in cold blood, that would have been yeah. like, oh my god. But yeah. instead, there's just cannon fodder in, in, yeah. you know, in, in this movie. No, and especially when there's the really obvious narrative solution of they show them the skull and like communicate, we're going to return this. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, that's what our our godheads want are asking of us, this to be returned. Go for it kind of thing. It's just such a clear narrative solution to that scene that every time it comes up, I forget that's not what happens. You, you know, I don't... I don't... I, to your um, to your point, um, I don't feel just to be a little bit off, but then I do agree with this other thing, maybe even more emphatically, in the sense that it's the aliens, you know, kind of teaching us how to create that stuff. That doesn't bother me from a 
from a e- e- evolution point of view, or as if they're talking down that these these poor people would never come up with this because they're not sophisticated. I always think of it as well. This is an advanced culture coming to Earth to our culture and explaining it to our people that are not sophisticated, but I don't get the impression that if they would have landed in London or Delaware, that then people would be like, Oh, we get this. <laughs> We've been building buildings for years. No, they came way to ancient cultures and they explained it. So it wasn't about like Indians not knowing how to build buildings, but it was about people not knowing how to yeah, build yeah, buildings. That was for, my for me the just because the movie very is very much connected to the chariot of, of the gods yeah. theory, which posits here's why Mayans were able to or yeah, T- Khan was able to build these things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, and they put that on the Egypt stuff too, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but those things are are pretty. They're pretty amazing. I mean, I I see your point for sure. Um, but I don't I don't I I don't take it so. Uh, I I find it. You know, I'm, I'm sort of embracing of the mystery of it. It's not like there are. Um, uh, buildings made at the same time in other cultures that they that they're that are explained you know it's not just like well white people built these buildings with a with a cement they yeah. i don't know how the fuck these people did it it's it's all like hey the, the, how did you do this so i'm not off put there but to your point john um when hindi and mutt kind of do their little cultural imperialism route and go in and just fucking yoke those people that are guarding the other thing, like Indy's hitting people in the face with a shovel. He's blowing a dart back into the person's mouth. He's just destroying people. And they're like, ah, fuck it. And it's got a very weird vibe there. And it's odd. And you know that it would never get, it would never happen today. They wouldn't have that kind of, um, there would be much more sensitivity towards that, I think. Yeah. But the movie is also caught in, a mental fidelity to the serials and films from an era in which that stuff it's, it, it has a fidelity to an era of cultural imperialism, colonialism and, and racism, you know? So it's hard to, to move with fidelity to films from those eras and get yeah. entirely away from the stereotypes and cliches built into those philosophies that are behind those films, you know? And so I think that it's, it's a very tough road to hoe. And I think it generally does okay with it. If you put a gun to my head and say, justify all of this, all I will be able to say is they really hate Nazis, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's and, about and, all. And, and, and Russians from the fifties. Yeah, and Stalinists because they praise right. Stalin specifically. So. And they're and they're remarkably lovable despite that. These yeah. villains, you have a lot of fun with these villains, a lot right. of fun. And that she's my, f- that was my take this time watching it uh, yesterday, was that I had real compassion for Arena Spalco. I think that you know she's you know this delusional fraud of a psychic, you know so that you believe that she actually thinks that you know that, that that you believe that maybe the crystal skull is not dangerous at all or doesn't really pose a threat <laughs> to anybody she's just kind of built this up in her mind and mm. she's you know got this idea of like we can control everyone's minds it has like this ultimate kind of like cold war paranoia of like we're russians and we're going to use this device to control your minds and like integrate your culture uh but it, it comes that, off like like she's speaking- a loon and you kind of appreciate that, and it makes her a little bit more endearing than you would think. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree that the Russians are a very fun aspect of the movie. But because we were speaking of video games earlier, did any of you guys play the Command and Conquer strategy games? No. For, from the 90s and early 2000s? Oh, the ones that have the little pop-in, like, VHS, like, full motion video? Yes. People's, yes. Yes, because... She's exactly like those... Yeah, go yes. on, sorry. So, so Udo Kier yeah. plays a Russian psychic villain that is basically if Udo Kier was Irina <laughs> and like so seeing this movie as somebody in his mid-20s you know having played those video games like three years ago it was a little <laughs> weird but but also it did add to the fun of this movie this movie could have used Udo Kier for sure oh for sure <laughs> he would have been movie, yeah when I when I was young I was under the impression that Udo Kier played the Paul Freeman role in Raiders of the Lost Ark until I was like 20 and went back and I remember watched that. It. You used to be like, oh, the guy from Suspiria is Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'd be like, you're fucking crazy. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a trip. Her performance is, I think, man, it's probably not a cool thing to say, but I think it's the best performance in any of the movies. It's interesting. Un- believably committed it that whole movie rests on her performance it'll fall apart into a million billion little pieces without her she's 100 like and then when that woman shows up she just shows up to act yeah that's she's just a savage you know what i mean i think she definitely shows up she shows up i think shia labeouf is good in this movie he's wonderful i like mutt i was surprised yeah Yeah, i think mutt is a really well-written character actually he um, you know, he, he shows up, he's on the surface, very, you know, tough, but he, he's putting on a front to, you know, be this greaser, but what really, especially on this viewing, what really sells me, the character and Shia LaBeouf's performance is when they're in, uh, John Hurt's character, Oxley's prison cell, and they're looking at all the, the carvings and sort of the crazy person paints that mm-hmm. he's done. And he's like, he's welling up. You know, he's trying to fight yeah. back tears, and he says, "What happened to you, Ox?" Because this is the the closest thing to a father he's ever known, and he's the tough guy facade is just crumbling in that moment, and it's one of the most emotional, you know, pieces of acting in the movie for sure. Absolutely, I also love the moment where uh, Indy starts getting in- invested and like finding the skull when they're prisoners of the Russians, you know, and he's actually like looking at a map and like telling them where to, where to go he's actually like working with them just because he mm-hmm. gets excited mm-hmm. and and we kind of like focus on mud and mud is like what the hell is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. to jump back to cape lanchette one of my favorite moments in the movie that i notice now is so harrison ford comes in and he's looking at the treasures at the end that the aliens have amassed and he's like they're archaeologists right as soon as Kate Blanchett comes in, she's like, they have a collective unconscious and she's thinking of them of communists, clearly. And that's a very clever moment of just like he projects his idealism onto the aliens. And then she comes in and immediately projects her idealism 
onto the movie as well that onto not onto the movie to the aliens as well they both come in and project their sense of what these beings mean onto them which i think ties it back into them being like god figures in that way and makes them more religious than aliens to me where it's sort of people are constantly projecting the meaning of god onto god happens in holy grail happens in uh, raiders of the lost ark certainly even the sankara stones have that where it's sort of Indiana Jones isn't taking them seriously. He thinks they're just like good luck rocks until he realizes like what the that the village is sort of like having an entire understanding of their culture based on this magic power and is projecting their sense of the power into them in some way. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. I think um, I think my main criticism of, of Crystal Skull, and I'm wondering if this is, you know. Fair. Did you did you like it ultimately, even if you have criticisms? I did like it ultimately. You know, I, I did. When I finally got around to seeing it, I think, you know, you get Spielberg in an Indiana Jones movie, it's going to be very hard to be bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he's just got the skill and he's got some great scenes. And there's enough about it that works that you want to say, like, it, it, over, uh, it overpowers the stuff that doesn't. I'd say my main criticism is, if I thought about it, let me know what you guys think about this. It's the only one that I feel like you could not watch as a standalone movie. Like it's the one that just leans too heavily on the idea of Indiana Jones. And I asked Jory, my mm. wife, about this. She had only seen Last Crusade for like 15 years before she saw the other ones. And she was like, yeah, I love that movie. That's, you know, I, that's, it, that movie to me is Indiana Jones. And I'm just wondering, like, if you did not know anything about Indiana Jones going into any, any single movie this is the one that suffers the hardest because there's just too much like leaning on. This is only interesting if you know who Indiana Jones is and have seen the other movies. Yeah. I would say you're a hundred percent correct. Cause especially with like the interplay with like Ray Winstone, like even though whose character is just, I think totally wasted, you know, he, he flips back and forth so often that he might as well not be there. Um, like it, the movie depends on your impression of Indiana Jones and your knowledge of him as a character from the previous movies. Like, so any of those quips, so much of the jokes, um, and especially his relationship with Mutt and Marion. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. You need the context of the previous movies for that to have any weight at all. And maybe it's not fair to say because you know it's a sequel. You know, it's the fourth movie. Um, and, I, and I can't help thinking too, like, oh, what's another fourth, you know, long after sequel to have the hero and his son running around together? I guess it was part five is the Die Hard, uh, a good day to Die Hard, but uh, uh, one of the worst sequels of a franchise ever. ever <laughs> Never um, seen that one. Don't. don't. It's terrible. Yep, not great. Um, but uh, so maybe it's not fair to say that you know this movie doesn't stand on its own. And but that was that was the main distraction for me throughout the movie is like the Indiana Jones aspect of the movie was my least favorite thing about it. That's interesting. I have to think about that. I really have to think about it and analyze it like that because, you know, it had been so long for me. It's seen and saw it at the movies. What was it? 20 years, right? So it almost felt like you were watching it for the, I mean, you knew the, the tenets of the character for sure, but I think I like that movie on its own kind of energy and merits and all the things that you're finding out about Jones, you could have found out 
I mean, we watch it and we're like, just to bring up the first movie that comes to mind about it, the Casablanca. Rick's got a whole backstory. You don't know it. Yeah. But that movie behaves like it's a sequel. Like you're supposed to know all this <laughs> shit about Rick and Ilsa and all these characters and what's going on in Marseille. You know, so I just from the first, right, you got this. Is it Spielberg? Is it Lucas? Those are fun things to think about. And in this movie, you got the American graffiti thing right at the top. You got the, the you got this. I love that this time the mountain is a it's a molehill. Right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. so clever. And he's also telling I think he's telling you, look relax this is like a 50s b movie the other ones are like cereals this is a 50s b movie relax it's not a mountain and it kind of you know from the greasers and the fights and the the atomic cafe of course i love it love it love it and then that whole sequence with that that whole sequence is great i love it is really good i love it all now we get to the nuking the fridge the first thing i always think about when people go in a fridge is that i grew up in an era where you'd always hear don't go in a fridge you'll get locked in a fridge you'll die so I always think, like, are kids going to see this movie and lock themselves in a fridge? Because <laughs> in my brain, kids are walking around some sort of wasteland that's full of fridges. I know, like the Punky Brewster episode. Did they get locked in a fridge? Yeah, kid dies in a Punky Brewster episode no, getting no, locked don't. in a fridge. They yeah. need to make people aware of this shit. <laughs> I'm serious. I really, it freaks me out. It freaks me out because as a kid, I would get And uh, the general makes a reference to that. He says, why did you go in a fridge? Those things are death traps. Right? Does he really yeah. see I miss when that? he when he comes in to like interrupt the FBI guys who are grilling Indiana Jones, he says that, you know, it's funny you said I didn't you didn't know why people hated this movie. And there's a few things. One is this the you mentioned almost all of them. The molehill at the beginning is CGI. People really hate the amount of CGI in this movie. That's one of the things that fans were angry about. The other is the stuff like nuking the fridge. That is like the worst the, thing I've ever seen in my life. It's absolutely the worst thing in any of the movies. The, but by, by a million miles. It's very bad. I think, I don't think it's worse than stuff that's in the other movies. Oh, uh, like the rubber raft parachute and like sliding it's down worse. the hill. No, the, it's worse. The grabbing onto the submarine. I don't, I think it's like, I think it belongs to a tradition of deeply unrealistic shit that happens in these movies i think it just does you know and i think that you know i i certainly don't love it as a as a narrative solution to that problem but that scene leading up to it is really really cool you know where he's trying to face right but i don't you know i think that happens in a lot of these movies that it's just like completely unrealistic stuff happens in all of them beyond that the grail and the ark are real. You know, I think that it just has a lot of, you know, the the rubber raft thing is ridiculous. The, the holy grail knight speaking English is ridiculous. I know, but you we know? don't associate those things with a nuclear blast. That's such an iconic American image. To, to me, there's always the movie and the movie Spielberg wants to make, right? So Spielberg, yeah. you, you're, we're watching this movie and you know, he's really interested in Red Scare shit and how that affected America. But it's not it's supposed awful. to be a nuke. They don't drop a nuke in that. Not scene. a nuke, an A bomb, an A bomb. Yeah. They're testing the A bomb. Yeah. Part of part of me, I, I misspoke. So in here, I think he wanted that shot of Indy with that mushroom cloud. Yeah. And it's like it's a cool ass fucking shot. It looks like something out of like Frozen <laughs> or like a yeah. pulp. It's really pulpy and it's really fifties. And how do you not? How do you make a movie about the fifties without addressing the fears of the A bomb? Yeah. But somehow the solution just. It's, well, it's I think it would work better in a movie yeah. that I mostly don't like how it looks. I'm like, don't like Yanis Kaminsky in general. 
<laughs> yeah, so yeah. Don't wait a minute. Did, you didn't like cool as ice? <laughs> Except how do cool you, as ice, uh, of course. How do you uh, melt a woman with a heart of stone? Just add ice. One of the all-time great taglines, oh, guys. Yeah. So I saw that movie opening day at the opening matinee. Not because and I was already a hardcore. I was like 30. I was 24, 25. Wait, but you I, saw uh, Cool as Ice in the theater? Opening day, opening matinee, <laughs> wow. Friday matinee. <laughs> I thought it looked gorgeous. And I knew I was already a major cinema freak and, you know, I had studied film and, you know, but I was like, this movie looks beautiful. Like Vanilla Ice is a joke. I know that, whatever. That movie looks beautiful. I want to see it because it looks so pretty. Well, so that, I would, this is, is why we have you on the show because this... I say, I hate Yanis Kaminsky. And you say, what about Cool as Ice? <laughs> no, but I'm kidding. I was, it was a punchline for sure. That's great. But, uh, you know, but, um, but how many people know the guy that shot Schindler's List shot Cool as Ice? Saying, Here's man. the thing. I will tell you a story. There is a direct, Thanks for having me on. there is a direct to video softcore with Billy Zane and Joan Severin's called Lake Consequence that in high school I was obsessed with because I was like, this movie looks fucking amazing. This is one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. And do you know who shot it? I followed his career. Harris Savides shot it. Nice. <laughs> Harris Savides, she's like shot Finchner's movies. Oh, see, that's wild. Gus Van Sant. I didn't know that. Yeah. So if I'll see a movie, I saw Flashdance. I was already a super snob, but I was like, that movie looks beautiful. <laughs> Even though I had, and I'm a, now I'm a like late period Tony Scott fan, but I had written him off for years because of I hate Top Gun and I hate Beverly Hills Cop 2 and all that crap. Uh, but when I saw like some of these movies look beautiful, right? Like I was like, oh, that looks gorgeous. I'll go see that. Let's try that. You know, if it looks pretty, I'm, you got me. I'll give it a try. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I know I, I posted on Twitter about this, but like speaking of looking pretty, just like like put Kate Blanchett's face in frame and 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 shine a light across it, and just like wow, this is this is cinema right here. <laughs> there's there's she, you go, there's your movie. Yeah, yeah, she makes everything better. But but then you know like I I hate to be one of those guys that just like oh there's too much CGI, but the the, the gophers. Yeah, completely I, unnecessary. Well, here's I the thought thing. The go I thought the gopher. I never thought the gopher was CGI till this moment. I was like, oh, it's a gopher. It's a molehill. And, and it like, never occurred to me. And I you think done the, like the a puppet in like in the Caddyshack. Like the the combination of the concept of the fridge saving it from nuclear blast and the CGI rolling image of it, like just the confluence of those things. It's it's just t too much. <laughs> you know, it, it it just so readily takes me out of the, out of the movie that you know it's one of those things that I, can't I don't know these movies like look the stuff that takes me out of these movies is like short round doing kung fu to beat up thuggy guards these movies have sure. dumb shit in them yeah they just do and you gotta roll with it and nuking the fridge to me felt like you had a bunch of people who were john cribs and i's age when this came out in our mid-30s who had grown up with the indiana jones movies and seen them as kids and accepted everything that happened in them because you're a child when you see it and then when you saw it as an adult you were like wait there's a bunch of dumb fucking shit in this movie right and not understanding like it's in all of them because your nostalgia has blinded you to it whereas if you're somebody like bill who was 
older and then an adult when he saw a lot of them, you have much more sense of perspective on the relative ludicrousness of of something like Temple of Doom compared to Crystal Skull, which is not nearly as bad. My defense of Crystal Skull has never been that it's this phenomenal movie that's as good as Last Crusader Raiders, but like its worst parts are no worse than the worst parts of Temple of Doom. Mm -hmm. You know, the worst parts of Temple of Doom are way worse than the worst parts of this movie. Its best parts just aren't as good as the best parts of Temple of Doom. But it's basically like, it's, (laughs) this is, I don't know if the sports metaphor is going to mean anything to anyone. When you have a Hall of Fame discussion, you talk about peak production versus career production, right? So you have the guys that were very good for a short amount of time, and then the guys that were above average for a long time, right? And like the high peak guys like Terrell Davis, who are good for like two or three years and then Thuringia or whatever are not good anymore. That's Temple of Doom. It has really high highs and then is bad the rest of the time or useless. And then you have Crystal Skull, which is not, its highs aren't as high, but it's consistently better over the entire movie. And they're Curtis Martin. And it's like both of those have like Hall of Fame cases. You know, neither of those is a ludicrous Hall of Famer. You know, they're both very good Hall of Fame cases. They're just entirely different, you know? And I think if I had the one complaint about Crystal Skull, I agree with you about the CGI. It has too much CGI. But this time watching it, I thought, well, this ending of Crystal Skull, that's all bad CGI. This is how all of Ready Player One looks. The entirety of fucking Ready Player One looks like this bad CGI. And modern movies just look like this from stop to start. And if this movie looked this bad from stop to start, I think people would actually accept it more. They'd be like, this is just what modern movies look like, you know, as opposed to having sections that actually look good. If it just looked fucking terrible, like Ready Player One, people would accept it. You know, I think like, like the jungle chase sequence, there is good stuff in there, but a lot of like, it just looks awful. Uh, like yeah, the- yeah. I, I was going to say, I'll tell you a sequence that is as good as anything in Temple is him and Mutt in the diner going into the chase scene where he's like yeah, that coming in and out of the back of cars. Fire. Yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic scene. And while I think that the you know uh, the design and the construction and the execution of the jungle stuff is just as good as that, I agree. It's the look and it's the kind of overuse of special effects that kind of makes it a little more dodgy. Yeah, and it's you know in the combination of the effects with no sense of the danger of people really doing these stunts, which like when you see a guy jump off of horseback onto a tank, there's really a guy (laughs) doing that. And whether it's cool or not, you go, holy fucking shit, Vic Armstrong did that. You know what I mean? Like you have that moment of somebody did that when nobody's standing between two cars with one leg on the other and one on the other, you don't get any sense of like, holy shit, somebody's really doing that. You just don't. And it creates a different, different feeling in you altogether. Um, but I, I, I no. like this movie, but I don't also don't want to say it's as good as the two that I think are really good. I feel like if you hate this movie, I distrust your taste. I feel like you don't have any ability to audit your own nostalgia about the world and the ability to look clearly at, at how you felt when you were a kid versus when you were adult. You know, I think that it's, this movie's a likable, good movie. It's, it's a very solid movie, you know? I, I think it's also frustrating because it just feels like it, it could have been better. Um, like, still... Nobody takes a punch like Harrison Ford. And nobody yeah. throws a punch like Harrison Ford. Yeah. Um, Karen Allen's still this 
beam of light and the chemistry between her and Harrison Ford is still fantastic. She's actually one of the things I think is really weak in the movie. She feels rusty. She feels like she I, hasn't been doing real acting for a long time and is sort of not phoning it in, but just like she's got like happy to be their face in every yeah, scene yeah, in a way yeah. that like Hurt and 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 Jim Broadbent don't, you know? I just want to throw out this George Lucas quote that I just found again from my old article, my old review of Crystal Skull. Chris, I think, speaks to kind of what you're saying. What he said when this came out was, when you do a movie like this, a sequel, it's very, very anticipated. People anticipate ultimately that it's going to be the second coming. And it's not. It's just a movie, just like the other movies. You probably have fond memories of the other movies. But if you went back and looked at them, they might not hold up the same way your memory holds up. Exactly. From the guy who directed the phantom menace <laughs> but i also but, Spiel- first men, so. but spielberg also has a great quote that's not necessarily right that makes me think of that i think of all the time which is this movie came in like the michael bay quick cutting era and everybody he got asked a bunch of questions about like how he feels about modern action filmmaking right and if he was going to cut this movie faster to have it be up to modern standards and i always remember he has this quote where he says if you build your story right if you build your narrative engine correctly, it doesn't matter how fast you cut because it will feel fast no matter what the camera's doing, right? And I think about that all the fucking time as a filmmaker, all the time. Even after, and it was funny, I thought about it too, when you watch Raiders, the cutting is incredibly fast in the chase scenes and Raiders, especially mm-hmm. for its era. It's like MTV type cutting level fast. And to think of that quote from him and being like, I was literally just blown away by how fast they cut in Raiders during the chase scenes and the fight scenes. And then this movie does slow it down, even in the big chopping through the woods fight that's very heavily CGI that ends with the ants. Um it, it is like not super cutty. It's very sustained shots, especially for its era. That's very interesting, man. You know, you talk about George's quote. Did you all ever see that movie, The People versus George Lucas? No, I never saw it. Yeah, it's, I, I heard of it, but I didn't. It's, 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 it's an interesting documentary. Um, it's talk about cutting too quick. It's, it's a doc, but it's got so much shit in it and they don't stay on anything for a second so it's like just yeah. flying flying it's like man that's a cool image that's a cool image that's a cool image but you can't you don't have time to see anything anyway it's about did george fuck up the star wars movies and it was made you know before whatever and one guy's like yeah george lucas raped my childhood all this stuff i don't even like to use that word but yeah. um you know, but so this, where George Lucas touched your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy at the, at the end of the movie is like, George Lucas did not, you know, and again, that word's thrown around far too much. But he says, no, George Lucas had wonderful consensual sex with my childhood. <laughs> and he's and he's fine. He can make whatever movies he wants to make and so forth. So it's it's interesting. I keep looking at this movie and thinking, you know, it, it seems to me the movie they wanted to make and i was pleased by it i just some of the things i like about it and if that jogs anyone's thoughts or memories right off the bat you know i got i was moved when i saw the picture of marcus and and sean connery you know denholm elliott and sean yeah i mean really moved and then uh jim broadbent makes a comment and i don't know if he says it or indy says you get to that age where that you start to take stuff away. Is that right? Life starts to like, take 
life starts to take things away instead of giving you things. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, whoa, like that, that, it, it affected me unexpectedly. Just like, it, but, and I also liked following the themes, like the, you know, his competitors. I'm a capitalist. So right there, you like capitalism versus communism. Not that those things are necessarily need to be at odds all the time, but the themes of the movie are laid out. Um, there's aging. I just, I just, I just, uh, I liked it. I really, it worked for me a lot. I'm sorry. Here's another criticism, Tech. I, <laughs> I, I am more offended by what they did to Marion Ravenwood in this movie than what they did to Marcus and Sala in Last Crusade. <laughs> so tell me, what did you not like about Marion? I, I, I just bought all of it. I just, I just don't like that she's there for the, the purpose of nostalgia, and she has literally nothing mm-hmm. to do. She drives that boat into drives, a tree. Yeah. yeah, she drives. She drives that boat off a cliff and into a tree. Well, I mean, this movie exists for, for the purpose of this n- nostalgia. <laughs> so if, if you don't bring back Mary, like, why even do it? Because I you have a tradition of a new in, have a new have a new woman in each of the Indiana Joneses. I think but that everybody like, in the world would have been OK with that. I think oh, everybody no, I, in the world would have been OK without Mary and Ravenwood, without Mutt Lang. Oh, no. I, I, I like those that. things, but yeah. I, I well, think, I think everybody in the world would have been fine without this movie. No, yeah. no, I loved all that. I love seeing him get older. And when him and Mutt are, are at the Atomic Cafe and they're talking, yeah. I don't know if that's... And they don't dislike each other off the bat. I thought that was yeah. such a cool touch. They're just friendly and they're talking. And when the kid does get a little loud, he's like, relax. You yeah. know, he hasn't been in that position, you know? <laughs> um, and I liked... I just... I loved it. I, I, I really liked that he has a son and a wife and uh, she, I thought she was terrific. I, I, I was in, I was all in. And I love the scene. It really literally makes me laugh out loud when they're sinking in the quicksand, the college thing. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> That's the, the yeah. Yeah. When he starts to, to narrate or, or lecture on the differences between like a, a dry sand pit and, and quicksand, I think, yeah, yeah. That is a great gag, and I also really love the gag in the library where him and Mutt slide in through the library, and the student asks him about his his reading assignment. That that's and then he does the hark. That was great. He does the hark. He does the hark back to Last Crusade, where he says, "You can't be an archaeologist staying in the library all the time." Whereas in Last Crusade, he says. Uh, being an archaeologist is staying in the library. Ninety yeah. <laughs> percent of the work is done. It's a uh... the whole sequence is fantastic. That was really really good. Um, so and the comedy is better than than Temple of Doom for sure. And the you know the aliens, which are Spielberg's friends, right? We know they're his friends from Close <laughs> Encounters and from ET. They show up and they kill the evil Nazis. So it also plays into the <laughs> the Spielberg kind of psych psychology, which I'm I'm really interested in seeing what's interesting to him. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, man, I, I dug it. Um, I was trying to think of what didn't work for me. I, John Hurt, I really don't like that kind of, perf- I don't understand. Does he think that's funny? What kind of, that's why he doesn't make funny movies because <laughs> that's not funny. It's aggravating. You don't really think that's the real guy. This is the father figure of this kid, really. Yeah. Um, just John Hurt, though. terrible, terrible. What's that now? I can't hate John Hurt. No, John Hurt is wonderful, but <laughs> this is not like maybe one of my least favorite performances from him. He doesn't have a lot to do. It's not his fault. Yeah, yeah no, that's fair. But I don't get that kind that's of fair. performance in these it's, movies. It's, it's, they don't it's have weird. that in Raiders, and they don't it's have it in Indy, in uh, Temple of Doom. They don't have that kind of weird... Yeah. yeah, you're right, you're right. It seems weird that 
Lucas sold the idea to Spielberg by being like, it'll be like a B movie, like the fifties B movies. That's why aliens will be in it. And it doesn't feel anything like, yeah. yeah it doesn't know. feel like what war of the worlds when worlds collide. Right. It's them. totally yeah. feels like a B movie. It's totally like a B movie. The Russians are, the Russians are way over the top. Everything's big. He's got all the themes. I think, it, I think it does. Think yeah, so? I agree. Bill, I like this movie like you. I know I know fans are really hard on it and like trying to defend this movie from people. Uh, my main defense is go watch Temple of Doom again and tell me you hate Temple of Doom more first and then I'll hear you out bad mouthing this movie. That's step one is to say. And then if you don't like Temple of Doom or Crystal Skull, you don't particularly like Indiana Jones. You just happen to like two good movies. So get the fuck out of my face and stop <laughs> talking to me about Indiana Jones anyway. I have to go see the uh, uh, crystal. I have to see um, uh, Last Crusade. Last Crusade again. Have you revisited yeah. Crystal Skull many times since seeing it in the theater? I watched it uh, last night in preparation for the Crystal Skull episode <laughs> that I was going to do today. <laughs> I would have watched it a week ago, but I just have been swamped. Yeah, but I, mean, I watched it yesterday. You, made my notes. Have you found yourself revisiting it though? Since the I saw it uh, in the theater, and then I saw it once with my son, and we were both super into it. It was so yeah. moved by the whole father thing, son thing, and then I watched. Uh, yeah, I gotta it. say, my son was really into it too. Was was this one worked with kids? Did you watch it with your daughters, John? We watched the whole series at one point. In fact, I <laughs> after, after the after we watched Last Crusade, they were like, "Is there another one?" I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> well, and we they liked it, it we didn't they? It. They liked yeah. all of them. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. And they're going to grow up and not understand like the way these fucking kids grow up and are like the prequels are good for Star Wars. It just happens. You just grow up with it and sort of uh, you won't even notice the difference, you know, and I do think with Indiana Jones, there is uh, not as huge of a difference in quality in the fourth one as people make it out to be from the other three. Yeah, I don't know enough. No, no, go ahead, Chris, please. No, I was going to say, I don't know enough about Star Wars to have any opinions on the actual relative value of any of those. Those movies didn't mean anything to me, so I would stay out of that discussion. I have too many opinions to get into that here. <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm not a... Yeah, we're not Star Wars guys, Bill. That's just the fact of the matter. Maybe that's no, why we like um... Crystal Skull better than the two Star Wars guys here. <laughs> Maybe that's where we get our, our aliens, our ancient aliens from, because it, <laughs> it was a long time ago, and it was a galaxy far, far away. It wasn't in the future. Um, let me Let's ask bring a Han question. Solo into the Indiana Jones. <laughs> that would be all right. I, I, I've been waiting for this one moment in the podcast that happens in my brain as I was prepping for this. I was like, I can't wait for the moment when I say, and when I rewatch this, I didn't really mind the part that I would always say I hated the nuke the fridge and I hated the the, the Indiana Jones and the Adventures of the Monkey King when he goes off yeah. and swings from the vine. And I knew that was a script that at some point was bandied about. And I thought, when I say this, John Cribbs will explain to me about that script because he's read it. He knows what it is. And he knows that they just <laughs> took a couple pages and put it into this script because they do that in these movies. Um, but I didn't hate it. I watched him take off into the trees and I was like, well, that's, that's kind of funny. <laughs> it didn't bother me at all. It didn't bother me even in the theater. It bothered me, but it didn't bother me this time. John, can you explain to me? You are the Oracle of wisdom. Is that from an old script of what that script was about? Do you have any knowledge on that? I don't, I don't know what the background of that is, but you know about that script, Indiana Jones and the monkey King. Uh, I've heard it before, but I don't know too much about it. I do know the original title of this one was, Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men. 
is what uh, the <laughs> would call it. See, I would have loved that. I would have loved that too. Yeah. I would have loved if they had made another one two years later that was another 50s and it was more atomic horror sci-fi stuff. You know, like <laughs> Indiana Jones and Incredible Shrinking Man movie or them. I would have fucking loved that. I would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, talk about 50s B movie. It starts with, doesn't it start with Rock Around the Clock or something like that? Uh, shake, rattle, and no, shake, Come rattle, on. and rolls yeah, when they're in the diner. Yeah, Bill Haley in the, oh, yeah. no, I think you're, oh, I, oh, shake, rattle, rolls the diner. Uh, it's something else in the opening scene. It might be, and it's very American graffiti. Um, I can't I guess it, it is interesting just thinking about it now how like this era of Spielberg is just so defined by like mid 20th century because you know he has this movie he has um War of the Worlds which I know takes place now but is very much like another harkening yeah. back to 50 sci-fi um he has uh Bridge of Spies he has Catch Me If You Can so it just is, is the um is the whole bridge made out of spies <laughs> yes it's uh I, I, never, yeah. I never saw it i never saw it. i don't know anything it's, about it uh it, it's very good, it's good um, so I, I don't know i i just find it interesting you know at spielberg as sort of an elder statesman filmmaker concentrating oh yeah and you know catch me if you can right yeah catch, and um west side story too so he's, yeah he's really in this wheelhouse of like fifties and sixties, the Americana, um, when, I, you know, when er, earlier in, in his career, he was, he was very much, you know, he was making ET and, and close encounters and jaws, which were very present. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the most interesting things about him is that he's, his, his thematics have aged with him. And he's always been able, you know, he's like, you know, that it's almost like I think of him as I think of my own reading taste. You know, the older I get, the more age appropriate reading I'm doing. And he's like, <laughs> he's like that guy, like I just finished the Lincoln biography. You know, I'm, <laughs> sure, let's make that movie. I'm, I'm 70. Why not? Uh, so it's intriguing that he's kept it real like that. And when he does and when he tries to go and do something a little younger, I do not fault him for it. I enjoyed Ready Player One. No problem. Yeah. I didn't love it, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I thought feel it was like derivative. you like, did things in reverse. So, what's the worst thing Spielberg has ever made? What? It's obviously yeah. Hook, right? It's Hook. It's not Hook. What? Mm. You think always Captain is worse than Hook? Nope, nope, nope. What do you? What's what's Ready that romance one? movie that whose the title I can never remember? The the, the I the, mean what's the, the, terminal? the terminal is fucking terrible. I didn't see it. The terminal is bad. That's not what I'm thinking of. What are you thinking of? That kick one episode of the Hulky Dip? Kick the can. This segment can of Twilight terrible. Zone, the movie. Oh, it's so about bad. The old people. Is it that bad? Which he made it's when the he worst. was young. About it's the worst. About, you know, it's like is it that bad now? People. We know that it's really the worst. It's really the worst. We know that Joe Dante's is far and away the best part of it. Of course, and George Miller's is also. I love, fantastic. yeah, no, I love the it George is not. Mal- love no. the George Miller. No, what? no. <laughs> it would have been awesome had he put, had he done, as he could put. I'm going to get Bill Shatner, and he's going to get back on the plane. <laughs> he hasn't flown in years, and he's afraid to fly. They convince him to fly, and there's the thing: John Lithgow is my most hated actor. 
Oh, I really? He, oh, I don't know if he what? did something to me in another life. Maybe he hurt me in another life. I, I will tell you, I'm with you. Every time somebody's like, John Lithgow's great, I'm like, he is a ham sandwich who cannot control ham, himself. I will, I will I, I'm a Shakespearean yeah. actor. means I'm overacting. He's, he is a ham, ham sandwich, but I, I, I like his flavor <laughs> of ham. <laughs> I like ham. I'm with you. Well, ham is delicious. Cliff, cliffhanger, come on, man. Oh, that's, um, that's a, that whole movie is hot trash. Oh, no. Cliffhanger with the shorts. Yes, and I but I have to see what (laughs) things are. Come on, that movie with the with the first of all, the little shorts, no. No to the shorts when he's cliffhanger. I will not hear anything bad said about Cliffhanger, sir. (laughs) Um I I did, you know, um, well, that's crazy to me. Those cliffs look so fake when he's on the (laughs) fake fighting on those fake ass cliffs. I've been to like Christmas stores that look more real. <laughs> anyway, Spielberg obviously didn't have like a good take on being old when he was young in his career, and I feel like now when he does too many young movies, he should be focusing on stuff like that. A mature filmmaker would have like a better grasp on. But he does constantly. I mean, his career is super mature now, right? Yeah, British yeah, spies. I, and... I really, I really loved West Side Story. Honestly, yeah, I was me really too. Surprised. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I like it better than the original. John, you know very well. I don't. I don't like the original. I hate that era of American musicals, and I fucking loved the new one. I mean, it has some. It has some cheeseball shit in it, sure. like all of his yeah. movies do. But I, I really. I but really so does like that play. Movie. So yeah. yeah. Well, the play is terrible, which is part <laughs> of the reason that I'm impressed by the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I. Th- that's one of the things that you know makes me just love Spielberg you know oh, what a controversial statement uh, but in everybody including me was like why the fuck is he remaking West Side Story like what are you doing and then of course when it comes out everybody's just like oh this is very good isn't and, it uh, well known that he's always talked about wanting to direct musicals I thought that yes. like people knew that yeah but uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm and I'm not a big Spielberg fan. That's something also I've got to add about being a huge Indiana Jones fan. He's not a filmmaker that's meant anything to me in my life. Mm-hmm. He's not somebody I'm very well versed in. I met I met him. I talked with him about Thieves Highway. I worked with him when we did a uh, the theater I was programming at the time did a ten year gala and he was the guest of honor and we did a series that he programmed and I got to chat with him some. Then at the actual event itself, I shoved him. True story. Do you know this story, Bill Tech? Have I told you this story about shoving Steven it's Spielberg? It's going to break my heart. I hope you didn't do it on purpose. No, on purpose, but not knowing it was him. So, well, the story is, is at the end of the event, like I had had a few drinks. This is back when I still drank and I was getting ready to leave. And I wanted to thank the, say the executive director. Good night. Great event. That was very good. I'm heading out. And so I saw him and I'm walking over to him, right? to go say bye to the executive director. And just then from like my flank, a group of people cuts in front of me between me and the executive director. And so I like stick my hands between them and like shove them out of the way because I'm a little drunk to go say bye to the executive director. As I do this, I see horror, total horror in the executive director's face because it's Steven Spielberg and I'm 90% sure Kathleen Kennedy. I just shoved (laughs) like to be like, Hey, Steve, you know, like, how are you doing? Just sort of like push them aside. And when I realized I was happening, I just kept on going and didn't even say anything to the executive director because I didn't want to taint him in any way in that moment. That was smart. Like, that was a like, smart move. That was a yeah. very smart move. Sho- shoved him. He's a, little, you... he's a little man. He's easy to shove around. 
Were you in black tie at this event? Yeah, yeah, it was a fancy event. It was a big fancy so event. That's 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 a lot of tomfoolery in black tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the only sim- part of it, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure it was actually Kathleen Kennedy at this event. It was just some woman he was with who was in business tie. That I'm pretty it sure it was her. Kate Capshaw. <laughs> no, I she was a, not uh, there. So. That was for certain. Is she was not there? But <laughs> I have a black tie tomfoolery story as well it's not relevant to this podcast but i'll tell you in person i'm i was very close to jokingly saying to them to fuck out of my way like as a joke like it was almost (laughs) out of my mouth i think i might have realized what was happening right before i said that well let's hear your tomfoolery story does it involve does it involve punching thuggy guards to save some enslaved children I was wearing a black tie and I punched some dude out and it was, it was, he pushed my wife. It was, it was a horror show. It was a horror show, but I was really cool. I was like James Bond in that moment. It was really cool. I'd never done anything violent in a black like tie. Like India Club Obi-Wan. You didn't yeah. wing around and immediately accidentally punch the cigarette girl. Like in some hats. Well, yeah, sure. I did <laughs> by accident. Uh, no, but, um, I had this great 1930s tux that I got at an antique in Miami twice. And it's beautiful. It's double-breasted. It must have belonged to some gangster. And um, I'll spare you the story, but I look cool in this tux. There's not much that doesn't look cool when you do it in this tux. <laughs> the tux it does all the work, really. Uh, That's it. Chow, do, do you guys have any more you want to say about Chris? What's the verdict on Crystal Skull? I am in the positive but not overwhelming camp of it i like it i don't think it's an amazing amazing movie cribs what's your feeling on it i'm i'm close i'm closest to you i would say in that regard armenio oh sorry i think the the moment that crystallizes my opinion uh pun definitely intended for me is so in the opening or near the opening when the Russians are making Indy show them the the casket with the mummified remains and they're like, oh, it's magnetized. And he sends like uh, gunpowder and then uh, shotgun shells to try and find this magnetized uh, mummy. Even on this rewatch, and I'm like, let's not mag- magnetic, you dummy. <laughs> and then later in the movie, they're like, they're, they're holding the skull and gold shoots at the the skull like it's magnetized and they're like wait what is this thing gold's not magnetic so this movie is a little dumb but it's not too dumb it's not as dumb as you might believe at first glance exactly so i am also in the positive camp for kingdom of the crystal skull yeah i'm i'm in the positive camp until you start saying that you know, it's better than Last Crusade. That that's coming from somebody who hates cliffhanger. I don't know what what I would even. <laughs> and Bill Tech, you're very enthusiastic. Your enthusiasm has has made me feel more emboldened. This is a movie for many years. I've gotten a lot of shit for saying that I like from a lot of different people. And Crystal Skull Brothers Forever, man. Crystal Skull Brothers Forever, man. I wanted one thing out of the internet and out of Twitter. I wanted to befriend. John Cribbs <laughs> and get him to watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and to write about it. And that happened. So it's clearly a simulation. I'm very happy to be in my own brain. 
Uh, we're all the way there. Guys, thank you so much well, for quick, doing real this. Quick before oh, you go, oh, oh, oh. just what do we think about the non-Spielberg indie part five? Any thoughts on that at all? You guys that shit does it? not that shit yeah, does not I exist, turned into you, John. I will not, okay. I will okay. not acknowledge that at all. Fuck yeah. that. Okay. Well, Fuck um, that. J- a James Mangold. How about you kiss my hairy beanbag? James Mangold <laughs> stepping in for Spielberg. Maybe no if way. they had gotten somebody interesting, but like a total zilch like Mangold, like that's true. Get the fuck out of here stuff. What do you think, I, I'm not interested. <laughs> I, I, there's no one that could make that movie besides Steven Spielberg that I would want to watch. Um, if you know, It's definitely you know, another IP grab if you're not going to get Spielberg. But uh, I'm sorry, Chris. I like James Mangold, or at least I really like two for, of his movies. For what reason? Uh, I really like Copland and Logan might be my favorite superhero movie ever. Every time I, I just watched Copland again recently, every time I go in thinking I'm going to like this and mm-hmm. it's just, I'm, it doesn't work. That what is this, not dumping good. on Stallone night? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I like the shootout when his ear goes when he can't hear. Yeah, that's cool that. at the end. But That was cool. So uh, I'm I'm gonna see it for sure. <laughs> That's funny because it feels like even more like this is just not we don't need a fourth movie. Indiana Jones minus Steven Spielberg to me is like an unfathomable thing. No matter who they get yeah. to play. Yeah, yeah. The I, the only way I'll see it is if my son is like, I want to see it, and we go see it. That's it. There's no other circumstance. I could, you know. Maybe if I went with you guys, I would go. <laughs> yeah. I was just getting ready to say. The four of us went. I yeah, watched, I watched fucking Uncharted with, with Mark Wahlberg because my son wanted to see it. I'll definitely, wow. if I see like a Z-grade Indiana Jones knockoff based on a fucking video game because my son wants to see it, I'll see this goddamn thing. <laughs> Road trip to Miami for... <laughs> I could come... John, you're on the outskirts of New York? No, uh, um, I... John Arminio is from Pennsylvania. But, Where but in Pennsylvania? I didn't know that. Uh, Carlisle. Uh, okay. Yeah, near Harrisburg. Let's go yeah. see John. Well, let's make a road trip to you, man. I've been I wanting to go to I Pennsylvania. Can't, I can't handle guys traveling from New York and Miami to come to Carlisle, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I can't think of a cooler thing to do, to be honest. Right. That would be cool. Here. I would do that road oh, trip. I would totally do that. I would totally do sweet. that. I dated, right I, dated, I dated a woman from Harrisburg who worked in New York and she would commute three days a week from Harrisburg to New York. Ludicrous, right? Yeah. Anyway. I, I, had a, I had a college professor who did that and he was always exhausted. I wonder why. Yeah. This woman, this woman was a stripper, which is kind of different than a college professor, but <laughs> I'd certainly like one kind of person more than the other. Um, <laughs> Dr. Jones. So, and John Cribs, anything else you wanted to say? For the episode before I cut us cut you off again and no, end please, it prematurely. Up, Chris. Go guys, it. thank you so much for doing this. I love talking to you guys. It's you I sorry if I'm a chatterbox too much. You guys, everything you say causes like thoughts to explode in my head that I want to cut in with and say, Oh, that reminds me of, oh, that reminds me of the entire time. So thank you all for coming on and doing it. You guys are obviously, I think objectively, based on audience reaction, our best guests. Our most beloved oh. pink smoke guests. Hey, Chris, you missed it. Measure. We already got our we already got our follow up episode all set up while you were gone. We're doing a Punisher movie episode next. <laughs> oh, that'll be <laughs> all great three for Punisher movies. That'll be great for me to listen to after you guys record it. 
it was uh, it was an absolute you honor don't want to talk to about Dolph talk. Lundgren, Chris. <laughs> it was an absolute honor to be able to to, to talk to you gentlemen again and, and to talk about indiana jones which you know is some of my favorite movies of all time so so thank you so much for having me on it was a real pleasure it was a thrill for me you three are three of my favorite human beings to around and also to talk to about movies and it's just an absolute blast and by far the high point of my stuff because i really look forward to it thank you for having me absolutely always an honor to have you guys on thank you and john what's the problem with us americans that we all won a tragedy with a happy ending no the line from these movies is <laughs> you're always overdressed for the wrong occasions come on uh, the, oh, the setup the is you americans are all the same no what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> um is that the line? You Americans are all the same? You Americans are all the same. Always have a dress for their own. Oh, so close mm -hmm. to surviving desire. So close. 